This is Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily with Andrew Hustler-Patterson and Michael Remus. Hey, what is up, gang? Welcome to another edition of Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Not back to 100%, but I think marginally better than I was yesterday. Apologies for uh, for that, but uh, hey, the show has to go on. Andrew Patterson, Michael Remus here with you, and uh, going to be a fun one today. Lots to get to in and around the Canadian Football League, and who better to do that with than our pal John Hodge of Three Down Nation. Uh, Johnny's going to join us in about 20 minutes or so to kick off the program our guy Piggy T going to the nation's capital. Heck, he could be in uniform for the Red Blacks against the Bombers this week. We'll talk about that in early season observations observations from John, who uh, does such a great job along with Jay Dunk uh, covering the Canadian Football League. Then we'll get the latest on the Winnipeg Jets offseason with Mike McIntyre of the Winnipeg Free Press. Looking forward to that. I know Mike was out taking in quite a bit of the uh, development camp and We've talked a lot about development camp because obviously it was happening last week and there was a lot of good vibes. It was sort of a fun topic to get to, uh, but now we got to move forward. The latest on Shifley and Hellebuck, possible resolutions for those situations before the season, or if they are not resolved, what does that look like going into the year? We'll get to all of that coming up with Mike. And then, you know, we always like to hook up with our pal John Horn in and around the majors. Um, on the or the Grand Slams, I should say, on the uh, on the World uh, t- Tennis Tour, and uh, it's Wimbledon, and it just so happens our guy John Horn is in Seattle, taking in the Derby last night in the All Star Game. So we're gonna kind of do a combo baseball segment with John, as well as talk about what the uh, scuttlebutt around Media Row is on Shohei Otani's future. And then get a little bit of his thoughts as we head into the final week of Wimbledon as well. So, going to be a real fun show. Great to have you all with us here. Um, a quick shout out and thanks to all the sponsors that make this show happen each and every day, including Princess Auto, Cool Bet Canada, the Winnipeg Gold Eyes. Don't forget, folks, and I'll mention this later on, but uh, for podcast listeners, if you haven't already, join us July 26th for Winnipeg Sports Talk Night at the ballpark. If you go to winnipegsportstalk.com, you can click on the link there, buy your tickets. We're going to have a big group. We've got such a great response. We actually had to get more. Good problems to have. Um, going to be a real fun evening. Uh, while supplies last, everyone that buys a Winnipeg Sports Talk ticket will get a Winnipeg Sports Talk koozie. And I've uh, got some great prizes from the Gold Eyes as well. So July 26, get on over to the website, winnipegsportstalk.com, uh, to hook up with that. Of course, our friends at Assiniboia Downs, Back at it tonight at the track, Breezy Bend, Aikens Lake Wilderness Lodge, and Little Brown Jug, BP, Royal Sports, Consolidated Supply, and Nick and Nicky DQ, F Apparel, Wallace and Wallace, Vita Health Fresh Market, Canadian Club, Manitoba Battery, Aquatech, and Modern Man Barbershop. Lots to get to, so uh, let's get Michael Remus in here to get things going. What's going on, Remo? Yeah, we're just navigating one of these slower... Sports weeks of the year, MLB All-Star break. We had the home run derby. However, you know, we talked with uh, Chad Posthumus yesterday on the show. Sea Bears on TSN tonight. Very exciting national televised game. And Bombers getting ready for Ottawa Saturday. And, you know, the hockey offseason, it's still going. There's still some guys 
unsigned. We've had a couple transactions yesterday, but uh, we're just getting through, Huss. A nice little summer day here in Winnipeg. Yeah, well, speaking of getting through, I am getting through after yesterday. I don't know what the heck happened. I wasn't feeling too hot on the weekend, but I sort of went about my business as normal. Coughed a little bit and had a few sneezing fits. I got hit by a truck yesterday, and it kind of happened, like, in the middle of the show. I wasn't feeling that bad, like, half an hour before we went. Anyways, apologies on that. And I uh, I think I've been horizontal for about 21 of the 22 hours since the last show. Uh, am feeling a little bit better. I will say this, though. I was quite buoyed by uh, the Derby last night. That was uh, – I've said this before – no event has done a complete 180 from being unwatchable to must-see like the Home Run Derby has with the advent of the clock and the way that they change the rules. And it was another show last night. I mean, uh, hometown hero Julio Rodriguez going crazy with, what, 41 bombs in the first round. And my guy Randy Rosarena, who we got a cool bet at plus 900, coming up just short against Vladimir Guerrero. Although we did nail the final matchup at plus 1,200. So overall, it was a fun night for a little sprinkle on the uh, the derby. Um, but I can't really think, Remo, of anything involved, whether it's the NHL's skills competition, the NBA with the dunk contest, which now brings up guys from the G League to participate. The Pro Bowl, which is now basically a, 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 an event that you would get on a, a NFL Street video game. I mean, it's basically just a, a fun bunch of competitions, which is frankly better than the game. The Home Run Derby is <laughs> really is one of the cool events of the summer. And uh, Toronto's own, not Cuban-born, Montreal-born, Vladimir Guerrero reigns supreme as the Derby champ in a real thriller against uh, Randy Rosarena last night. Yeah, the biggest, you know, J-Rod put on the biggest show, hitting over 40 in the first round, which is absolutely insane, the hometown guy. But we've seen this so many times in the past where someone gets off to a hot start, you know, hits a ton of home runs, and then they gas out. And you saw that, you know, he really just didn't have the legs anymore in the second round. It was... uh it was pretty awesome. I did like the uh, thing where they showed the launch angle and the uh, exit velocity of each ball. Uh, that was pretty cool. And I don't know if you noticed this. You know, we talked yesterday how what they have the chain. So Guerrero wins. They give him the trophy. He gets Marshawn Lynch put, puts on the chain, which uh, I love how the game's in Seattle. You bring in all these Seattle uh, sports legends there, Griffey, there, Marshawn Lynch. And they also give him what the home run jacket is back. So you got three trophies for winning the home run derby got to entice you know got to entice the guys to compete um and you know hey not one trophy but three separate ones pretty cool a nice accomplishment there father and son duo both home run derby champions uh first ever a pair of father and son to do that so it was vlad senior winning it back in 2007 with the anaheim angels los angeles angels yeah, of anaheim. I, and and i did make a note of um you know, giving a bit of a shot to ESPN for claiming that he was the second Cuban-born player yeah, was a to graphic. win. He was born in Montreal. He grew up in the Dominican, neither of which, as far as I'm pretty sure, are Cuba. But it is a perfect sign of the times. I mean, I don't know about you, and this is a whole nother conversation, but the amount of times that we're watching Sportsnet, TSN, and now ESPN 
where there's just, I mean, blatant mistakes on the ticker. It just seems like it's fallen so far. And I mean, unfortunately, that's what happens when you fire half your staff and you get rid of experienced people that have done a job, good job for a long time and go with the cheapest possible alternative. Um, that's sort of what you get. And that was embarrassing for Major League Baseball last night and for ESPN to do that. So just thought I would mention that you get what you pay for. And it seems like most of these sports stations don't want to pay for anything. And, uh, you know, sometimes you end up getting embarrassed. All that being said, you mentioned the fatigue on players. Like, as I said, I had a Rosarena and Vlad to go to the finals at, at 12 to 1. So that had happened. I was all fired up. And then I found out that Guerrero, because he was a lower seed, had to go first. He looked like he was completely gassed at the end of round two, Reem. And only, he must not have had even 10 minutes before he had to go again. I could not believe how he somehow got it back and hit, was it 25 bombs in his, uh, in the third round? Mm-hmm. That, that to me, was maybe the most incredible thing we saw uh, the entire night. I mean, in the second round, at one point, he was just taking pitches because he was too tired to swing. And then he went out and dropped another 25. It was truly an incredible derby performance by, uh, by, uh, by Guerrero. And it did get me thinking. I mean, you're a big baseball guy. If you could go to only one or the other, what would you rather attend, the derby or oh. the game? Uh... That's a good question. I guess it depends who's in. I've never been to a home run derby. I've never been to an all-star game either. I don't know. Because the Major League Baseball all-star game, which is tonight, is really cool. Yeah. I mean, it's the one part, it's the one game where it's an actual I mean, you game. can try. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You can try. I mean, players want to do their best. They want to be there. They want to show out as opposed to what's happened in basically all the other leagues. Like, it, it's still as closely resembles what you'll get in a regular game with the best players in the world. And that's why it's awesome. I'll be honest. I think I might take a bleacher seat in that for the home run derby. <laughs> am I sitting? Yeah. Am I sitting? Do I have a chance to catch some, catch some balls? Then maybe, but am I sitting behind the plate? I'd probably go to the game. Um, uh, that's a tough, that's a tough one. Uh, I don't know what people in the chat have to say, but well, you know, it's a perfect segue here yeah. right off the bat. Why not question of the day today for a not autocorp overly Waverly and McGilvery. What would you rather be at in attendance? The Major League Baseball All-Star Game or the Home Run Derby? Let us know in the chat. We'll talk about it a little bit later on when John Horn joins the program. Um, But let's get to a little bit of hockey news. And I know we're going to get to this a bit more with Mike focusing in on the Jets. Um, But, you know, we mentioned this late Sunday night. We had a trade to announce. Alex DeBrincat goes to Detroit and signs, what, a four-year deal just south of $8 million. And uh, Dominic Kubalik comes back along with a, uh, a prospect and a conditional first-round pick, which will be the lower of the two, tra- of the two picks between uh, Boston and Detroit. Um, listen, I know why Ottawa made that deal. They really did need to move on. They obviously didn't have very many teams in the market, and I think DeBrincat kind of pulled a bit of a truba, if you will, and said, listen, the only place I really want to go or I'm going to extend with is Detroit and made it very difficult for them. Um, but all things considered, I mean, I think I said this yesterday in the program, the return Kevin Sheveldayoff was able to get for Pierre-Luc Dubois looks even better right now considering what Debrinkat just brought back to Ottawa. 
Yeah, this is an interesting trade because you have to consider that Ottawa, get, you know, last summer, Ottawa gave up a first, second, and was it a fourth or a third for um, Debrinka? And at the time, we thought, oh, this is kind of a, you know, a, a value deal for Ottawa, although the pick, first round pick they gave up, I think, was seven overall. Yeah, Kuczynski from uh, Seattle yeah. was, the, uh, was the selection. And you thought they'd be able to just trade him and even get maybe more. Uh, I think they, well, they definitely got less on this one. I think this would have to be, I think Ottawa did okay considering the circumstances, but overall the process might have to be an L. I think, you know, they went a bit ahead of schedule here trying to get to Brinkett. They didn't make the playoffs. It didn't work. And then he said, hey, I'm out of here. Trade me to, you know, Detroit. And he signs a four-year deal with them. Interesting that he signed a four-year deal. Haas didn't want to go super long-term, but he'll be, what, 29 at the end of that. So he'll be able to get another deal. But uh, Pierre Dorian, I, and look, you kind of set your franchise back a bit, giving up the, what, the seventh overall pick, and you get this conditional first that's going to be from Detroit or Boston, whatever is lower. So not, it's not the worst for Ottawa, but I don't think it, you know, I think he went maybe a bit, he tried to go a bit ahead of schedule and set them back a bit, but they'll, they'll do okay. So nice for Detroit, who we said last week, you know, they signed, what, JT Comfer to a five-year deal, and last year, Andrew Kopp. They had signed all these, you know, mid kind of players. Now you got you do have a top-line scorer, so definite win here for Steve Eisenman, who had all these first-round picks this year. And, what, you got the first from Boston for the Tyler Bertuzzi trade. So I, I like it for Detroit, but Ottawa, I mean, they're under some pressure here to make the playoffs. Last year was the summer of Pierre Dorian. And, you know, they had, they got off to a really bad start, heated up at the second half went on. We'll have to see how they, how it works out for them this season is uh, what he was asked about their expectations today and didn't want to, you know, didn't really want to say. The one thing though, is they just free up all this to bring at salary and you look at free agents remaining. Exactly. Um, if they can sign Tarasenko, then, Hey, that's actually, then it's a, a win. So I'll have to see what they do with the freed up side. Cause he was making uh, some big money uh, to bring Oh, he was due to make nine mil this year. Yeah. I mean, I think that was what he needed to be qualified at, or um, um, just the way that his. Uh, now yeah, he's he going to be making seven and uh, seven, eight, seven, five for four years, um, which will take them into the thing. But I, I'm not even, I'm not sure that I'm so sold on the Iser plan anymore. Just, I'm not. No. Well,. We said last week they haven't won any any of the playoff any uh, of the lotteries. So no, but I'm just talking about. Well, yeah, for sure. Kind of screwed sure. them. Listen, I I thought they made a great pick with Cider. He's an absolute stud. Lucas Raymond's pretty good. But I mean, when you look at this team, so they got Debrinkat, Larkin, David Perron, eh, pretty good first line. Robbie Fabry, JT Comfer, Lucas Raymond. I'm not sure that that's as good as most second lines in the league. Certainly, a playoff teams. Kopp, Rasmussen, Kristen Fisher, Joe Valeno, Daniel Sprong did have a good year in uh, in Seattle. We'll see whether he can reclaim that. And Clem Costin. I mean that that to me is as a bubble team probably on the wrong uh, on the wrong side of the uh, of the line. What's crazy is that Ottawa and Detroit probably are both going to be in that mix, battling for one of those final wild cards. So to make that trade in the East to a team that, you know, it could end up biting you. There is a little bit of risk involved, but I think there was less risk in that than, uh, you know, having to pay him $9 million bucks and walk for nothing at the end of the year. And listen, I love Cider. 
I don't know about the rest of their blue line, though. Wallman, Ben Sherratt, Justin Hole. Didn't understand that signing. Oli Mata, Shane Gostisbehere. And they've still got Billy Huso and James Reimer in net. So, I don't know. The Iser plan still is up. But you did mention Tarasenko. That is what's, what, what I find um, intriguing about what this does for Ottawa is exactly as you mentioned, Reem. It opens up a lot of cap space for them. And listen, I mean, there's some other guys available. But I think Tarasenko certainly, I mean, Pat Kane's available. When's he going to be available? I'm not sure. And where is he really going to sign and for how long? Tarasenko's had a couple real nice seasons, especially the one he had two years ago, which was incredible considering the Blues were trying to get rid of him for nothing. Where does Vlad end up right now? And if it is Ottawa, I mean, they ended up paying the price to get Corpus Allo. They probably gave him a little bit more money in an extra year. Canadian teams have to do that in free agency, but I do think there is the possibility that they get Tarasenko in there and, you know, he would fit in very pretty well with that young core they've got in Ottawa. And uh, there's tons of pressure, though, on Pierre Dorian. I mean, you mentioned they didn't want to say, oh, we're going to be a playoff team. Four years ago, he said they were going to make the playoffs the next year after they were 31st in the league. And it just hasn't happened. So with new ownership, I think there is a real level of pressure on Dorian to move this thing forward. They made the deal that they had to make, but I do think they'll probably dip their toes back in the water and make their best shot at signing a guy like Tarasenko. Yeah, Sens Talk on Twitter at Sens Talk underscore is tweeting out that Pierre Dorian on TSN 1200s uh, today was asked about the playoffs next year. Uh, he said, I'll make that st- that statement closer to camp when we have a better idea of what our roster looks like. We should be playing meaningful games in April, though. I don't know if meaningful games to get into the playoffs or uh, in the playoffs. We'll have to wait and see. But there are meaningful games doesn't mean that you're in the playoffs. Mm hmm but you're playing playoff-type games at the end of the 82-game season. You might not have any home playoff dates, but at least he's essentially saying we won't be eliminated in February, (laughs) which (laughs) we'll still be in it in the final two months of the season. And just for free agents, so I don't know what they're planning on doing, but yeah, you mentioned Kane, uh, Taves, free agent. We've talked about him. Uh, I think with Ken, you just haven't really heard anything about his intentions or what's going on there. Tarasenko available. Matt Dumba, uh, you know, 28 years old. Uh, I'm surprised he hasn't been able to find a job anywhere. Josh Bailey got bought out. Uh, Thomas Tatar, I think, was pretty good last year. Um, Other ones, uh, you know, there's really not... Those are the big ones. Not a ton. I mean, Jesse Pugliarvi, you know, former top pick. Who's here? Carl Haglin. He's getting older. Oscar Sunkfist. I mean, not exactly uh, top name. So uh, we'll have to see, you know, what happens. I think some of these guys may be arguing about, you know, not being able to get the number of years or everyone's up against the cap, not a lot of money to go around. But uh, Tarasenko is the biggest name left. And I think Thomas Tatar. So I'm curious what happens, uh, what happens with those guys. the The guy that intrigues me the most is Matt Dumba by far. I mean, Dumba is 28, as all these other guys are on the mm-hmm. other side of 30. I mean, what's uh, Ter- Tarasenko's 31, so he's not really old, old, but I mean, that's going to be how old Shifley is at the end of the next year of his contract. I mean, is someone given Vlad Tarasenko seven or eight years? Apparently, he turned down a pretty big deal and then realized there wasn't a lot else oh. out there and fired his agent. Did? So, I mean, uh, pulling the old John Klingberg. I, By man. the way, Klingberg... <laughs> Last year, Klingberg, I'm not sure that there's been a worse 
overestimation of a market for a player by his agents than we've seen in the NHL in a long time. He turned down an eight-year extension, rumored to be in excess of $7 million a year, from the Dallas Stars. And he ended up signing a one-year deal in Anaheim for seven, and now he's on a one-year deal in Toronto at 4.1. I mean, sometimes you got to take the, you got to secure the bag, as they say. And that did not happen. But, anyways, back to Dumba. 28 years old, and he's a right shot defenseman, right d- defenseman. I mean, that, those seem to be more of a, um, well, they're more rare right now than left handed deals, especially when you take a look at the Winnipeg Jets. You know, we were spoiled all those years with Truba, Buff, and Tyler Myers at that point. Nobody else had a right side like that in the National Hockey League and sort of shifted back over to the right. I'm not suggesting the Jets will take a run. I mean, all that would do, frankly, would be to compound um, the numbers game on the back end, and, uh, you know, it would be a costly contract as well. You would have to move somebody else out somewhere, and I think that's easier said than done. But to me, I mean, a 28-year-old Matt Dumba on a contract of, you know, not six or seven years, but two, three, four um, to me, I think would be something that would make sense for a lot of teams right now, considering the scarcity of those right-handed D. And all you need to do is pay the uh, pay the tab. Yeah, and you saw what the hit they laid on Joe Pavelski in the playoffs. He can play physical, and just as far as the Jets go, I, I agree with you. Um, you know, I will always hear in the chat in our comments, "Oh, the Jets need to improve the D." You know, get below. The, they got a problem where they can't add anyone. They've got to re- subtract some guys, and uh, I don't. They haven't been able to do that. We've been saying since last summer they got to you know open up some of these slots on the defense, trading away a veteran, and they haven't. And um, we're following what's going to happen with Logan Stanley, Villahenola, Declan Chisholm. His waiver is not uh, waivers exempt this year, and but you're going to get into a Johnny Kovacevic situation with him. So there is, I think there's going to be some movement on the Jets D at, at some point. Although we said that last year, and they ended up losing uh, Kovacevic for nothing, who would, you know became a pretty good player. Uh, with Montreal, but back to the uh, free agents. Matt, yeah, I'm I'm surprised he hasn't caught on. Maybe he'll end up taking a, you know, he's trying to get a multi-year, and it's not there, and, you know, it's how much do you want to take uh, for one year and try guys, again next year. Well, that's the thing, you know, for all these guys, go, oh, the cap's going up next year. I'm just going to take a one-year deal. You might want to look and see the other names that are coming up for free agency next year. It'll be a very different July 1st than it was this year, I can tell you that, and there's a lot of guys that might be left in similar situations after all the money goes to some of the top players on the market, and uh, they aren't part of that group. Okay, well, Anyways, who we'll is, hit this with who is next year. Sorry, I know we got to oh. get to John. Oh, well, well, I mean, right now, Austin Matthews, unless he assigns oh. uh, a ring. I mean, Nylander. I mean, there's a whole a whole whack load of players. Oh, here's, I got yeah, Matthews, Stamkos, uh, Aho, Boracek, Nylander. Sam Reinhardt, Ellabuck, Shifley, Zuccarello. There's a lot. Holy Gensel, Tyler Myers. Yeah, it it, it is going to be, and again, there could be and probably will be some extensions oh. at huge money before players get there. But, I mean, just night and day compared to it. Yeah. Listen, we're going to get into the CFL right now, though. Um, just before we do that, I want to give a big shout-out and thanks to uh, some of our sponsors. Got to thank our friends at Modern Man Barbershops for their support of Winnipeg Sports Talk. Modern Man Barbershops now have eight locations in Winnipeg, including the newest locations on Pemina Highway or Plessy Road. 
Modern Man offers a variety of grooming services, including haircuts, beard shaping, shaves, color services, and more. Book your look and make an appointment via modernmanbarber.com. Make sure to follow them on Instagram at Modern Man Barber Shops. Cool down for a couple days, uh, but we're going to be heating up again for the weekend. Folk Fest coming up, and of course, everyone loving to jump in a pool right now. Why not make 2023 the year you take the plunge with AquaTech and visit aqua-tech.ca to design your own custom pool. Their team can provide on-the-spot pricing from designers as well as financing options that suit you. And a whole home renovation start with AquaTech as well. With thousands of rentals as their foundation, let AquaTech upgrade any space in your home. AquaTech's ready to make your rental dreams a reality. Learn more about design, pricing, and financing options at aqua-tech.ca. Uh, well, the summer is here. Many of you are taking time off with your families to get out and enjoy this Manitoba summer. One thing you absolutely need is batteries to power everything that is powering your summer fun. And the other thing you need to do is the time to get it. Well, Donnie and the gang at Manitoba Battery have you covered with batteries for literally everything you could possibly need to dominate the summer at the best prices in town. Manitoba Battery is going to help you shop local beat the pants off the big box stores with their pricing and save you time and money with the most convenient buying experience around because with any purchase over 60 bucks, Manitoba Battery will deliver it to you for free anywhere within the perimeter of the city of Winnipeg. It's that easy and that simple. Head on over to manitobabattery.com. Check out everything they've got. Give them a call if you'd like. They can take care of you that way or pop down and see him at 1026 Logan Avenue. Uh, Manitoba Battery, dominating the battery game, helping you save time and money and making the most of your summer. And just before we bring in Shane, big cheers to our friends at Canadian Club. I think we're going to be seeing a lot of Canadian Club and ginger ales in hands of Bomber fans coming up on Friday night at IG Field. Of course, Canadian Club is Canada's favorite whiskey and the official spirit of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and Winnipeg Sports Talk. You can pick up Canadian Club at your favorite Manitoba Liquor Mart and throughout IG Field. And of course, Canadian Club and Ginger Ale is now available in 473 milliliter cans at your local Manitoba Liquor Mart and your favorite beer vendor. All right, let's bring in uh, our pal John Hodge from Three Down Nation. Lots to get to in the Canadian Football League. What's up, John? How are you? I'm living the dream, brother. How about you? Yeah, me too. I could be feeling a little bit better, but uh, who knows? Maybe it was a weekend that started off with a very, very fun night at Investors Group Field. Um, First of all, great crowd, awesome atmosphere. But I will admit, Walking around and talking to some people after the first quarter, there was a few nervous Bomber fans kind of going, what the heck happened, considering what had preceded it two weeks ago against the British Columbia Lions. But uh, I don't know whether you want to call it a wake-up call or what, but uh, the Bombers certainly flexed after that in a dominating second half, including a reemergence by the O-line, which was maybe a little maligned over the past couple weeks. Um, What did you think of the way the Bombers turned that game around and then suffocated the uh, Stampeders in the uh, second half. Well, I thought it was impressive. Ultimately, yeah, there. I, I agree. After that first quarter, I mean, Calgary's offensive line completely controlled the line of scrimmage. Diedrich Mills got it for the touchdown, and you kind of start to wonder: Is this here we go again? Like, what is going on with this team? This is a club that had won almost twenty consecutive home games, got schmucked by the BC Lions. 
at home in week number three. And then all of a sudden, week five, the Calgary Stampeders come in and oppose their will early. But credit to the credit to the to the Bombers. I mean, they could have folded, right? They could have have simply let that game get away from them. And sure enough, they were able to turn it around, score 23 unanswered points to not only win, but cover an eight point spread. I talked to Chris Kolonkowski, Winnipeg starting center in the locker room post game, and he essentially said, look, like, like Calgary had a really good game plan for what they were trying to do um, defensively, and they're a very well-coached team, but ultimately they were able to impose their will late in that contest, and I think that's always the mark of a really good O-line, is it, can you run the ball when the other team knows it's coming? And that game-sealing drive, something like nine minutes, 13 plays in the fourth quarter, was was simply sensational. I mean, the Stampeders knew that Brady Oliveira was going to get the ball over and over and over again, and yet he was still ripping up, you know, six, seven, eight-yard gains to really chew that clock. So all in all, I mean, obviously you want to see a better start. Like, I don't think the Bombers want to make a habit of falling behind early by 10, 12, 15 points. However, that said, I thought that their response to that slow start was very positive, and uh, I, I think that this club is, has certainly shown that, the BC loss was an anomaly, at least uh, to this point. Well, I mean, listen, BC has looked very good this season. I mean, they did lose to the Argos, but, you know, when your quarterback throws a half a dozen picks, you're not going to win very often. Um, but just as far as the Bombers go, I mean, you know, certainly the defense stepped up. And, I mean, the defense helped Hamilton to – or uh, Montreal, excuse me, to three points the week before. So – you know, I mean, it wasn't like the uh, the defense was was really lacking. It was great to get Jackson Jeffcoat back, but John, when you look at this team over this sort of championship era from 2019, I mean, in my opinion, the foundation, the starting point for this team was a dominant offensive line, and it wasn't dominant against the British Columbia Lions, and it wasn't particularly dominant early on in that football game. I mean, they really stepped up when they needed to, and I mean, I think that is. Uh, that's a confidence building for the team. Certainly, I mean, Mike O'Shea knows what he's got and knows the men and what they can do. But I mean, for people that were thinking, hey, listen, Father Time is undefeated. And these guys have been doing it for a long time. Um, I thought what they were able to do in the second half was uh, probably quite calming for a lot of Bomber fans if they were getting it nervous at all. Well, I remember going at the start of the season to talk to that little corner in the back of Winnipeg's locker room, that offensive line. And I remember talking to Stanley Bryant after week one and Patrick Newfelt, a veteran guard who's been at the club, I, I believe outside of Jake Thomas, he's their longest tenured player. And he started getting in on the interview saying, yeah, everyone's talking about how we're old. Everyone's making this big deal. Well, the truth is they are old. They're the oldest CF or offensive line in the CFL. Four out of five starters are over 30. And Newfeld, Hardrick are entering their mid-30s. Stanley Bryan entering his late 30s. The only starter under the age of 30 is left guard Jeff Gray. And they, they looked old, right, in that loss to the BC Lions. Now, BC has by far and away the most sacks in the CFL. They've got 21 sacks through five games this season, which is a sensational number. So clearly that defense with Ryan Phillips dialing things up has had a lot of success regardless of who they've played. And I think that's something that Winnipeg will have to go back and study. They do host the BC Lions again relatively soon. The Lions play in Winnipeg again in August. And with a three-game season series on the line, right, Winnipeg is going to have to win the next two, the one in Winnipeg and, and the, the third and final meeting in Vancouver. 
to get that all-important season series if the teams ever were to finish with the same record at the end of the regular season. So the offensive line, to me, uh, did step up, right? They have shown that that one game was a one-time thing. But you you made a great point there, Huss, which is Father Time is undefeated, and that is why, you know, whether it's this offseason or an offseason after that, Winnipeg will have to find a way. And I'm not saying these are going to be easy decisions to make or easy players to replace, but inevitably, they are going to have to move on from some of these guys who have been great players for Winnipeg for, you know, in some cases, six, eight, or even ten seasons. Well, uh, and and speaking of replacing players that, frankly, are irreplaceable, um, I, I really feel for Bobby Dice and the Ottawa Red Blacks. Um, you know, you wait a couple of weeks for Masoli to come back. We all know that he was injured as a result of a brutal cheap shot from Garrett Marino last year, who thankfully is not in the league anymore, but somehow is still playing and doing the same thing south of the border. But I digress. Um, they're in a jam right now because they got a hell of a good football team and the Bombers coming to the nation's capital. I mean, they're almost starting from scratch at the quarterback position. However, we might be seeing our old pal Piggy T. <laughs> because he was signed by the Red Blacks uh, along with uh, Sacramento State QB Jake Dunaway. But um, not surprising the Bombers are a big, big favorite. And uh, listen, I hope that Ottawa can become competitive and, you know, be in a mix for a playoff spot. But, man, that's a that's a tall, tall task for a team to replace Jeremiah Masoli at this point in the season with guys they're basically signing heading into the game. This is bad for the CFL, us. This this latest Agreed. development with Jeremiah Masoli, it is obviously terrible for the Ottawa Red Blacks, but it is bad for everybody. It, it it is bad for any stakeholder of the game. Jeremiah Masoli, when he's on his game, is in my opinion undeniably a top five, potentially even top three quarterback in this league. Um, his ability to to throw the deep ball, his ability to use his legs. I mean, he's he's thirty four. He was coming off obviously a devastating leg injury, but I thought he looked great. Uh, running the ball, moving his legs to start off that that game this past weekend in Steeltown, which was, I'm sure, a very emotional game for him, making his his return to that city after playing for the Ticats for for the better part of a decade. Um, Tyree Adams, who started Ottawa's third game of the season, was their only quarterback to win a start this year, was ruled out last week with a torn ACL. And so all of a sudden, two weeks ago, you're in a situation where Red Blacks fans who are among the most tortured in North America, that team has been so bad since 2019. It's like, wow, we've got Masoli coming back. We've got this up and coming quarterback who's super exciting to watch, super mobile. Wow. The, the, the dark days are coming to an end. And in the span of essentially 10 days, that has been completely and utterly wiped out. Now, I don't want to write off Dustin Crum because we don't even know who or what he is at this point. He had a very solid college career, undrafted stint with your Kansas City Chiefs, Huss. And uh, I thought, given the circumstances, he looked good last week. But it's clear that this team has no confidence whatsoever in Nick Arbuckle. I'll be surprised if Nick Arbuckle ever starts a game for this team. He was miserable the first two weeks. He's still the backup to Crum, even with Adams and Masoli being out. But you know, the Red Blacks, they play in the East Division. That's that's maybe some solace is is you don't have to win as many games to to make the postseason out of the East generally as you do coming out of the West. But this is bad for them. It's bad for the CFL. It's bad for everybody. And thoughts are with Jeremiah Masoli as he's going to have to undergo for the third time since 2019 a very, very long and arduous path back to the field after yet another major injury. 
you know, John, and while we talk about the quarterback position in the CFL and how all important it is, um, Swag Kelly's had a pretty nice start to the season with the Toronto Argonauts. Now the Argos very schedule is so weird. They've had two buys already this week, or already this season, uh, if I'm not mistaken. And um, but I mean, listen, they've played great. They obviously handled the BC Lions a couple weeks ago. And now there's word that McLeod Bethel Thompson might have his eyes on coming back to the Canadian Football League. Certainly don't think it would be in Toronto. Um but there's more than just Ottawa that's desperately in need of quarterbacking as we've seen what's happened in Northern Alberta again with the Edmonton Elks. Are you hearing anything on MBT? And where do you think he fits best if he does come back north of the border? Well, McLeod Bethel-Thompson made it clear that he was going to play in the USFL for family reasons. Like his, his partner, uh, her name is Chinaka Hodge. There's no relation that I'm aware of. Um, but she is essentially a producer for Marvel. Like she makes a bunch of money with Disney doing superhero television shows. And that production, my understanding is based in Atlanta. And so for him to play with the new Orleans breakers of the USFL, this past USFL season was very easy, right? Geographically, it's very close. There's a million flights a day, right? All across the United States for those types of, 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 of travel needs. Playing in Toronto, different story. Playing anywhere else in Canada, different story. They've got a very young child, and obviously they both have very demanding careers and lucrative careers, which is why McLeod Bethel Thompson was able to leave money on the table, right? I don't think he even made six figures playing in the USFL, whereas, you know, last season he made, you know, with playoff money and Grey Cup money, essentially half a million Canadian dollars. Does he come back up to Canada right away? My guess is no because he's played a ton of football in the last calendar year, essentially two full seasons, right? He played, he played 20 games, including playoffs last year in the CFL, and then went and played almost a dozen south of the border in the USFL. Uh, I also have concerns about how long he'd be up here. And so I don't think we're going to see McLeod Bethel Thompson end up in the CFL in the very short term. Will it happen? I'm not going to rule it out. But obviously, Ottawa is the best fit, in my view, because that team, I think the defense is ready. I think the special teams is ready. I, I don't love their offensive weapons, but the O-line has been better. And a quarterback there, even an average quarterback, should be able to get them to the postseason. Other than that, I mean, Toronto, I, I think at this point, you made a great point, Huss. You roll with Kelly. He's been he, He's essentially just been asked to manage the game, and it served him very well. Right now, if you look across the CFL on Offensive drives per quarterback. The quarterback with the highest percentage of drives ending in touchdowns is Chad Kelly. I believe Chad Kelly also leads the way in quarterback rating. And when you've got a defense that's playing lights out, led by Corey Mace, who's turning the ball over constantly, and you've got solid special teams, great coaching, a solid run game with A.J. Olette, Andrew Harris, I, I don't think there's any reason why you make a change there. And does McLeod Bethel Thompson come back up to be a number two? That seems doubtful. So so if we do see McLeod back, I, I think it would be in Ottawa. That makes the most sense. But again, I don't think anything is close to imminent. I don't think anything is close to happening. I think this is more of a long-term situation for McLeod Bethel Thompson and his family rather than a short-term situation. John Hodge, the Three Down Nation, with us here on Winnipeg Sports Talk. Um, I, I still have been talking about that Edmonton Saskatchewan game from Thursday night with friends throughout the weekend. I joked that it set the Canadian football league back a good decade, <laughs> but it did end 
in spectacular fashion. Um, and I mean, Chris Jones has taken a lot of heat, justifiably so. But my God, to have a rookie out there return a kick that obviously wasn't truly aware of what the scenario was is such an indictment on a coaching staff. When you think about the losing streak at home, this 0-5 start, in any other case, I'd imagine you'd probably be looking at maybe making a change. But they're screwed. I mean, they basically have no options right now because of the cap on coaching and management, don't they? Bang on. I mean, Chris Jones wears a million hats at Edmondson. He is the GM. He is the head coach. He is the defensive coordinator. And oh, by the way, everyone he's hired to perform those other roles around him is like his best friend. Like he he called Stephen McAdoo, the team's offensive coordinator, during when 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 McAdoo was hired. Chris Jones called him the closest thing he has to a brother. Like these are not mere colleagues. Like these are people with whom Chris Jones has forged strong... The Chris Jones gang. Correct. That is that is honestly not a bad word for it. That is not a that is not an inappropriate word to describe it. And and, and they go from city to city and they do their their thing, right? They they did it in Edmonton first round, they did it in Saskatchewan, and almost everybody who made the switch from Edmonton to Saskatchewan with Chris Jones has found their way back to the Elks now with his second stint there. I'm glad that you mentioned the coaching staff because to me, CJ Sims, as much as yes, he was technically the one on the field letting a kickoff sail over his head for the Rouge. As much as that, you know, he he was on the field. I don't blame him, at least not very much. I don't think he should be assigned the blame. And I will give Chris Jones credit for admitting that it was a coaching error after the fact. Um, there have been lots of coaches asked about this on and off the record during the course of this past week. And there are lots of coaches. Craig Dickinson said it after his game said yeah like like he's the head coach but craig dickinson has a strong special teams background a returner does not go on the field without checking in with 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 craig dickinson about what they need to do with that football and the fact that cj sims was evidently not aware of the rouge rules at all but then also wasn't expected to check in with a coach and say hey what am i doing here and have a coach say i don't care what you do just do not under any circumstances let the ball into the end zone you catch it you fall down i don't care don't let it back into the end zone. That conversation didn't happen. That is coaching 101, right? And that did not occur. And I hesitate to say it cost them the game because they did have a minute to move the ball up the field and the defense had a late game breakdown, all that stuff. But it, it was a backbreaking play. And it was yet another play that very frustrated fans in that market can point to and say, what the heck is this? Like, what? why am I supporting this team? This is a clown show. And so far, I think clown show is an appropriate term to describe the 0-5 season of the Edmonton Elks. And I'll say this, Hus, they're hosting the Hamilton Tiger Cats on Thursday. They have lost 19 consecutive home games. The all-time pro sports record that I'm aware of is 20. They're getting the Tie Cats, who have not been very good this year. They're 1-3, barely beat Dustin Crum and the Ottawa Red Blacks this past week at home. They're playing on four days of rest. The Tie Cats played at home on Saturday. They're going to Edmonton Thursday. If the Elks can't win this game, when are they winning? Because their next three games, they've got Edmonton, or pardon me, they've got Winnipeg twice, BC once, I believe. Like, if they don't win this week, they could be winless at the midpoint of the season. But for the reasons mentioned, Huss, I don't know if you can make a change midseason because of the way that team is structured off the field. And it is it is bad. It is yeah. this, this team is in a is in a worse way than I've seen a CFL team in a long time. Off the field, they're about as ugly 
as that game was between the Elks and Riders this past you week. You know what? It is a great point. And I feel for it. Listen, the Edmonton is a great CFL market. They've always supported their teams quite well. You can only embarrass yourself for so long before you see some real erosion of that fan base. And obviously, it's Alberta. There's still some people that incredibly are still all bent about uh, the name change. Oh, gosh. Which, anyways, um, but... I mean, for Chris Jones, I, and I feel for Victor Kui because I think he's done a lot of things, innovative things to try to get people to give them another chance. And every time the fans do that come out, they get disappointed again. And um, when I mean, when you think about, I mean, the loss to Edmonton or loss to Saskatchewan in the first game where they had the three uh, three downs from the one yard line and it didn't go in, and then the ridiculousness of last game. I mean, it's really tough to have any faith in where that where that team is going. This is the thing that does puzzle me, I have to admit. Chris Jones has been very successful in the past in the Canadian Football League. I mean, why do you think, is he just a terrible general manager? Um, because as I said, I mean, I look back, I mean, there's coaching mistakes all over uh, and no better example than last week. I mean, why has it gotten so bad, do you think? I've certainly expected they'd be much better by now. Well, I, I think one issue is, I'll, I'll highlight three issues. One, I think Chris Jones is simply spread too thin, right? When, when you're the GM of a team, you might have to give up coaching the defense or like coordinating the defense, and he hasn't done that. I think he's stretched too thin. I think another issue, and, and this comes from Chris Jones' own mouth. He said a couple weeks ago, if he'd been told the team was going to start winless, he would have lost his house betting betting for his team and accepting bets against those betting against his team. Um, I think last time he turned a team around in Saskatchewan, right? The first year he was in, in Saskatchewan in 2016, that team was miserable. 2017, they got better, almost went to the Grey Cup. I think one thing that helped them then was there weren't these other leagues south of the border, the XFL, USFL, taking a bunch of talent, right? Anybody who wasn't in the NFL at that point was coming up to the CFL. That's not the case anymore. You've got more competition for those guys who are coming into the pro ranks outside of the NFL. And the third thing is just some very foolish decisions when it comes to his personnel. Like you talked about the GM situation. I'll give you a couple highlights. Daniel Ross is a defensive lineman who played for Jones briefly in Saskatchewan. Jones signed him last year to a deal worth in the neighborhood of 130 grand, which for an American who's, who's essentially a rookie in the CFL is bonkers, right? This is a time when the minimum salary in the CFL was 65K. Well, Ross got hurt, didn't play last year, started the year this year, played four games. He just got cut. So you're signing guys for big money when you don't have to and then cutting them. Another example I'll give you is Trey Ford. Chris Jones uh, drafted uh, this quarterback, Trey Ford, out of the University of Waterloo in the first round. First quarterback to go in the CFL draft in the first round in a couple of generations. Well, he started week four last year and won a game. He won in Hamilton. And so far this season, he's either been the third stringer or a healthy scratch. Like like Chris Jones has made some very bizarre, bizarre decisions with his quarterback, quarterback spot. I mean, he gave a bunch of money to Taylor Cornelius, which Taylor Cornelius has obviously shown he's not earned. And beyond that, the way that he's he's maneuvered guys, like Kai Loxley played quarterback for them this year. He was a receiver last year. He was not a high, highly viewed quarterback 
at the University of Texas, El Paso. He had more picks than touchdowns at the college level. Yet Chris Jones is putting him in over Trey Ford, who's a first-round pick. And, and, hey, look, if you don't believe in Trey Ford, fair enough. But why'd you use a first-round pick on him? He, he started two games for you last year, won the first, got hurt in the second. And he's he's a healthy scratch. He's a third stringer. Like, like to me, the quarterback position has been badly mismanaged by Chris Jones. So I, I still think Chris Jones is a heck of a coach in many respects. But the personnel issues, the spreading too thin, I think those are the issues. And the quarterback spot, which, again, is a defensive specialist, is not his bag. Those are the reasons I think you point to for that team's issues. Hey, John, just before we go, uh, we've got less than a minute because Mike McIntyre is jumping on right away. But uh, the Riders are three and one. But are they any good? I think there's there's a little bit of smoke and mirrors at play here. I, I do think the Riders are better than they were last year. I think Trevor Harris has been a big upgrade uh, in his ability to get rid of the football quickly. He's taken some pressure off that offensive line. I think the defense has done a good job generating some takeaways. But three wins, two against Edmonton in very close games and one in double overtime at home against Calgary. So to me, those are, you know, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not delegitimizing the wins, but they are, they are wins that maybe don't impress you as much as some other wins. So I'm looking forward to seeing this team uh, play some different competition. Ironically, this week they're playing Calgary again. They've had a very repetitive, redundant schedule so far this year. Uh, so I wouldn't say it's, it's an illegitimate Three and one, but I do want to see more from the Riders because right now they're right up there in the standings with Winnipeg and BC, and I don't think just going by the eyeball test they've looked as good as the Lions or Blue Bombers to this point, and so I want to see a little bit more from the club. But I will say for an organization that a lot of people wrote off this past season, a lot of people saying that Craig Dickinson, their head coach, should be fired, even GM Jeremy O'Day should be fired. That club has looked better this season. They have shown some improvement, and uh, I think at least in the short term shown why those two individuals kept their jobs and deserve to keep their jobs going into the rest of 2023. I just, I want to see them play someone else, maybe even the BC Lions or the Winnipeg Blue Bombers again, who last I checked went into Mosaic Stadium and kicked their butts in week two. Uh, John, great stuff. Awesome to uh, have you back on the program. Keep up the great work at three down, hit it every day. It's a must read for CFL fans throughout the season. Uh, thanks so much. And we'll catch up soon. Thanks, Huss. Anytime. Say hi to Mike for me. I certainly will. Yes, Mike McIntyre coming up right now. He's on deck. Uh, first, let's uh, thank a few Winnipeg Sports Talk sponsors and then get into some Jets talk with Mike McIntyre. Got to thank our friends at Vita Health who have great prices on natural organic supplements, beauty products, and groceries. And Winnipeg's largest assortment of local products, too, with barbecue season in full swing. Get on down to Vita Health and stock up on some delicious Vita Market grass-fed bison and beef steaks. And, of course, they've got Guardian of Life formulas like Prostate Protect and Once Daily Men's to help support men's gastrointestinal health. Vita Health Fresh Market, empowering people to lead healthy lives. Seven Winnipeg locations and online with local delivery options at myvita.ca. Our friends at Wallace & Wallace are rocking this summer as Winnipeg's fencing and overhead door specialist since 1946. If your property needs the security and protection of a new fence or if winter did a number on your old one, give them a call. Vinyl, ornamental, welded wire, chain link, or wood fences. And if it's time to replace your garage door, they've got Winnipeg's largest selection of overhead garage doors. Give them a buzz at 452-2700. The Walls and Walls team will arrange a time to come out and give you a free estimate. You can also visit them at wallsfences.com or pop down to their showroom on Lawson Road off of Caniston. Um, hey, our friends at F Apparel are ready for the summer and wedding season. Are you... 
If you need to up your menswear game right now, get on down to F Apparel. Custom suits beginning at 400 bucks, along with chinos, golf pants, custom shirts, both tucked and untucked styles, and an incredible selection of menswear accessories. In a wedding party, talk to them about a 15% discount for the entire wedding party when you get your suits at F Apparel. F's down at 190 Smith Street. Pop down and see them in person or find out more online or make an appointment at F. That's E-P-H Apparel. Com. And hey, a big shout out to Nick and Nikki DQ for their support of Winnipeg Sports Talk and a special happy birthday to Nick. We had a big one yesterday along with his twin brother. Um, and I'm sure they were crushing some of those delicious new summer blizzard flavors and maybe a blizzard cake for the big day for DQ Nick. Of course, if you do have a party coming up, you can order a custom blizzard or ice cream cake on Instagram at DQ Manitoba. Otherwise, pop by and see him at DQ Northgate, DQ Polo Park, DQ St. Anne's, or DQ Neverville. All right, let's bring in Mike McIntyre, the Winnipeg Free Press. Mike, what's going on? How are you? Us, I am doing. Uh, I'm doing great. Catching my breath a little bit. It was. Uh, it was a busy couple of weeks there for the Jets. When you look back at everything that happened from. Uh, you know, the PLD trade, the Blake Wheeler buyout, the release of the NHL schedule, the draft, free agency, qualifying offers. Like, there was a lot that happened. And, you know, we've had now a few days, unless you want to count CJ Cease signing with the Moose as uh, as big news. And uh, so a few days of kind of quiet, and I'm taking a few days off here to get my my days owing uh, caught up as well maybe before we get another round of of activity or maybe we don't maybe this is it for the summer maybe we truly are in the the dog days if you will with the jets uh of course a lot of folks wonder if there's still a couple more big chips to fall when it comes to connor hellebuck and mark shifley um i'm actually going on uh, a family trip at the end of the month we're going on a week-long cruise uh, that'll probably be when the news breaks, Huss. If if my track record... Guaranteed. Yeah, I, I'm going back to when I was on the crime beat all those years. You could you could schedule it, you know, it was like clockwork. That if I took a vacation, the, you know, proverbial crap would hit the fan. So if you're looking for a date for the Shifley and Hellebuck news to drop, maybe pencil in that last week of July, first week of August, because... I'm going to be sipping uh, a pina colada in the middle of the uh, Atlantic Ocean uh, at that point in time. Ooh, nice, nice. Sounds good. Um, yeah. You know, as far as the Jets go, and I really want to focus more on what's to come um, and how things look, what may or may not happen, and how that'll affect the roster going into training camp. But um, what were your observations and sort of your takeaways from a development camp last week? Well, and we started to touch on this, I think, last week when I joined you because it was the first day of development camp Wednesday. And the early impressions, Huss, very much played out over the next few days. By the way, when I talked about how busy it's been, I somehow neglected to mention development camp. That, of course, was the most recent thing, uh, which wrapped up Saturday. But, you know, what you and I both observed on Wednesday, and I, I saw it play out every day from that point on, was just the quality of of character, the quality of human beings that the Jets kind of have waiting in the wings. Now, at the end of the day, good people don't win you Stanley Cups, right? Good hockey players do. And 
first and foremost, the Jets are hoping that they have some really, really good hockey players um, waiting in the wings. Those guys make great teammates, though, and great teams. They do. And, you know, when you look at what makes a winner, um, it's not always the most talented team. There's a lot of talented players and talented teams that have won absolutely nothing um, because they couldn't get it together. Now, what we saw last week was kind of the next generation, if you will, or pieces of that next generation uh, come together. And, you know, Jimmy Roy started the week off by saying we're all a family here. And that wasn't just talk or a cliche. You really got that family atmosphere. And you had guys like Rucker McGrory and Colby Barlow, um, you know, two first round picks over the last two years, really setting an example. Um, they made everybody feel welcome. They quickly kind of buddied up with guys, whether they were drafted prospects, whether they were, you know, guys from Europe or in the case of um, Chibrikov, a guy who just came over from Russia, making those guys feel right at home. And even players, Huss, who haven't been drafted, you know, guys who've been disappointed to not hear their name called and were here just on tryouts. It didn't really seem to matter. And you saw this group come together. And we certainly saw on the ice a lot of really fascinating displays of talent that it'll be it'll be, you know, a lot of fun to watch, quite frankly, how this translates, you know, a few years down the road. But certainly from a a character perspective, um, you know, the Jets appear to be well on their way to kind of winning. And, you know, I saw I saw the connection they made in the community and and I think, Cus, you and I, you know, we've been in this community a lot of years. Um, that is something that is very important for the Winnipeg Jets organization. And I think we would agree it's something that maybe has been lost a little bit in recent years. Some of it is not the organization's fault. The pandemic certainly made it a lot more difficult to, to keep those connections going. But I think, you know, what we saw with these young prospects, the way they – they embraced the the city, the organization, and certainly all the fans who came out to watch. You know, not a single autograph went unsigned, not a single selfie went untaken. There was a lot of positive PR work that was done, the kind, quite frankly, money can't buy. And it was led by these young men who, you know, may one day be future leaders on the Winnipeg Jets. And I saw, I think it was on Friday, I was watching this, the as the autograph line was happening there kind of in the background was Mark Chipman just watching on. And, you know, there's no question he had to love what he was seeing from these players. And quite frankly, from the community at large, uh, this is the kind of connection that, you know, really keeps the jets going. And we saw it in spades last week. Yeah, I agree with you on all points, Mike. I mean, the only way it could be better is if, um, you know, a number of these players are ready to kind of jump in and be Jets this year. I think the smart money, well, certainly Rutgers going back to Michigan for right. what we know. And uh, I would imagine that Colby Barlow is another year of junior ahead of him. And, you know, uh, these guys, you know, we'll have a lot of exciting players probably to watch in the world juniors, yeah. which will be fun. But, um, but as far as it goes right now, unlikely that we'll see impact made from these young men this year which brings us to where the roster is right now. And now obviously you've got a big shakeup with Pierre-Luc Dubois being traded. 
and bringing in uh, Velarde and Ayafalo and Kapari. Um, but there's still no clarity on the Hellebuck situation or Mark Shifley. I have a feeling we're going to have some version of this conversation every time you jump on the program all year long. But as we sit here in the middle of July, uh, what is your sense as to where things are at and the likelihood that one or both of these players are Jets next year? And if they are, for how long? Well, I think Kevin Shoveldayoff is is doing what he traditionally does, which is being extremely patient. Um, he's absolutely still listening when it comes to Shifley and Hellebuck. Um, but I think we can safely conclude, Huss, that he doesn't like what he's hearing, at least so far, from teams that you know might be interested in one or both of those players. Um, and as the dust has started to settle here now, and most of the big-name free agents are off the market. You know, there's a there's a handful left, I guess. Where does Ver- Vladimir Tarasenko end up? Um, but I think as the dust settles and teams start to, you know, take a cold, hard look at what they have, perhaps that is when Kevin Shoveldayoff is banking on, you know, some desperation creeping in. and the return that clearly hasn't been to his liking at this point gets juiced up a little bit. If that doesn't happen and there's no guarantee it will happen, then I, I totally get the feeling and just hearing from Kevin Shoveldayoff as we did over free agency that he's comfortable and he said it himself. He's comfortable starting next season with both of Hellebuck and Shifley in the fold on, you know, some would call them lame duck status, right? One year left. Um, what that means as the season plays out, do you have to move them at the trade deadline? Let me ask just just before we go on, Mike. Um, I mean, there's some things you can say, and there's some things you can't. Um, like I didn't, I, I wouldn't expect Kevin Shovel Dayoff to say in the current situation that he's in, uh, I'm not comfortable bringing those guys back. I mean, he almost yeah. sort of has to say that. Um, and I kind of feel like it, it's sort of, I think the situation's sort of different from one guy to the other. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, um, I think the market has shown that for both of those players, it's it's complicated when it comes to getting, you know, what he feels is, you know, fair value for them. And I mean, I give him even more credit for the Kings deal when you saw what oh. Ottawa settled for for Alex Debrinkat right now. 100%. But I think it tells us right now that where this market is, with the cap only going up a million dollars, there's certainly not massive long-term extensions waiting for either of these guys going forward. And if that's not the case, how much can you expect to get back in return? At least that, right now, I think the deadline's a different story. And that's where, you know, Pierre-Luc Dubois, he was willing and eager, in fact, to sign an eight-year extension um, I, I don't think Mark Shifley and Connor Hellebuck are at that stage yet. And really who could blame them? Um, if, you know, you have a contract for one more year. Don't forget Pierre Luc Dubois was a restricted free agent. So he needed a new deal for this year, this coming year, one way or the other. He just chose to add seven more years on top of that. If you're Shifley or Hellebuck, why wouldn't you want to potentially wait and see unrestricted free agency looks like and potentially a bidding war for your services next year, especially if the cap does in fact jump as much as 
many believe it will. And with bigger, you know, potentially even bigger jumps to come in the following years, there could be a lot more pie, if you will, to work with than teams currently have. So I agree. I think that is a big part of why Kevin Shoveldayoff doesn't like what he's hearing is because teams that are calling about these two players are treating them more as potential one-year rentals as opposed to eight years of a franchise player, the way Pierre-Luc Dubois was was viewed. Um, and you saw even again with Debrinket, like he only signed for four years, not eight. He is obviously in a way still betting on himself and betting on a higher cap that in four years he could you know cash in even bigger than he did this time. Pierre-Luc Dubois, as I said before, in a lot of ways, I know a lot of people want to dump on him and we're happy to see him go. Don't forget, folks, Pierre-Luc Dubois did the Jets a lot of favors by by expanding his horizons past Montreal and maybe most importantly, by agreeing to an eight-year extension, which certainly heightened the return for Winnipeg and made this a trade that, you know, I, I still think it's a trade that both sides may ultimately win. Uh, but certainly from a Jets perspective, it looks really good. You know, I'm looking at a Jets depth chart here. I'm just kind of throwing some names around Huss and let's assume for a second, Mark Shifley is still on the roster on opening night against the Calgary Flames in October. You potentially have a third line of the Jets that could include some combination of like Lowry, Niederreiter and Ayafalo, for example, or maybe Nemestikov's on there, or maybe Velarde. Um, you know, th- there's a possibility now for the Jets to have three legitimate scoring lines and then a fourth line you know whether it's Kupari, Appleton and Baron or Nemestikov maybe down there like we're talking about a, a pretty solid forward lineup that you know by getting a full season out of Niederreiter by adding Velarde and Ayafalo and Kapari to the mix a one-year older Morgan Barron and a lot of what he showed last year, Nemestikov getting a full season out of him. They hope certainly they get a full season out of Cole Perfetti um, and natural growth. And then you've got guys like Brad Lambert and Chaz Lucius, David Gustafson, Jansen Harkins, potentially, because he's still here. A lot of guys competing for, you know, work. Uh, I think the Jets, certainly from a forward perspective right now, are are really sitting pretty. Yeah, uh, no, I I mean... That trade changed things a lot. I mean, if you were already resigned to the fact that Dubois wasn't going to be back here, to bring in three pieces and a and a guy in Velarde that scored just about at the clip that uh, Dubois did, right? Um, you know, I think puts them. It does put them in a really good position. Listen, they were able to handle. They'll be able to handle the contract for Velarde, and we'll see what that turns out to be. Um, and certainly the four million for Ayafalo for the next couple seasons, and Kapari. Um, but to me, the, 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 the Shifley situation is so fascinating in that, um, I mean, I really do believe that if there was a deal right now to be made, the Winnipeg Jets would do that. I think, I mean, listen, if they were willing to pay Blake Wheeler five and a half million dollars so they could really move past the Wheeler era, I mean, those two guys have sort of been, you know, one, a one B, I mean, for a long time. And I mean, I, I'll say this. As much as I think everyone that listens to this program regularly knows, I mean, I am firmly in the camp of, you know, moving on, ripping the Band-Aid off and making the deal. 
um, I realize that they can't make bad trades. I mean, they can't get, you know, trade legitimately quality assets for 50 cents on the dollar. Right. I'll be, I'll be fascinated to see what Shifley is like if he comes back next year after the way last season ended, um, you know, under Rick Bonus without Blake Wheeler around next year and really sort of a changing of the guard to the Morrissey's and, and Lowry's. Although, I mean, he's been teammates with those guys. I'm sure he's yeah. close with those guys as well. Um, but to me, like, I don't think, and I know there's been some talk about entertaining the talk of extension. I mean, I would be absolutely flabbergasted if that happened. Hellebuck's a little bit of a different story, though. Now, I think it's pretty clear that there's not the eight by... 10 or eight no. by nine and a half deal out there for Connor Hellebuck, considering his age and worries on that. Um, but there is part of me that feels the Winnipeg Jets would be more than happy to pay market value for Connor Hellebuck, which would start with a nine if it wasn't a seven or eight year deal. Um, I do believe he probably all things being equal would prefer maybe to play a little closer to home and south of the border. But do you get the sense that there may be a revisiting of where things are at between the Jets and their Vezina Trophy winning goaltender over the course of the next month just because of the lack of opportunities for him to get presumably what he wanted when the Jets started talking trade with the rest of the National Hockey League and knowing what may or may not be there in free agency with a very crowded market next year, even with the fact that the cap is expected to go up significantly? I do. Absolutely. And, um, you know, I think one of the insiders kind of said as much that the Jets would probably circle back to kind of see what Connor Hellebuck thinks of, you know, the current roster and the direction of the team. Uh, I mean, I'll say this, Huss, we we talked about the development camp, I, I would think. And again, players, they're more concerned about what is here now. But if you're Connor Hellebuck and if you're the Jets, you probably almost wish that Hellebuck would have been around that group last week to kind of see what's, you know, what's on deck, what's, what's lying in wait. Um, and, you know, the quality of talent and character, because I think as a lot of fans who were down at, at the Iceplex watching probably came away feeling pretty good. I think if you're a, a core member of the Jets, you'd also be encouraged by, what is kind of in the pipeline right now. Now, of course, when we talk about that with Connor Hellebuck, there's a couple of really interesting goalies in the pipeline, um, you know, in, uh, in uh, Divincitis and uh, Thomas Milich. Um, so, you know, I, I just think that the Jets, it, they to do their due diligence, absolutely. You'd go back, see if his views have changed on possibly signing here. And I think, Huss, we now have at least a bit of a, a benchmark on maybe what a Connor Hellebuck extension would look like. And that's thanks to the New York Islanders who signed, you know, fellow Vesna nominee, Ilya Sorokin uh, to an eight year, 66 million. So just North of, of eight a year. Now Sorokin is a couple years younger than Hellebuck. Um, he'll be 28 in a couple weeks. Connor Hellebuck just turned 30. Connor Hellebuck, though, certainly has the more impressive track record in the NHL. Um, Sorokin's only played three seasons in the NHL before coming over from the K. Uh, so, you know, is that what we're looking at if you're the Jets? And I guess the question is, 
would you commit eight years and $66 million to a 30-year-old Connor Hellebuck? I, I think we would all agree at goalies can age a little It'll better. Be 31 than, by the time that kicks in. He just 31, 30, right, because yeah. he has the one more year, and yeah, his, he's a May birthday. So you're right. I mean, that, that would be a concern. It, could the Jets get him signed? You know, it, it, would he be willing to sign a six-year deal? Uh, and I don't know the answer to that, but I got to think that's part of what the Jets are probably trying to find out. Um, because, you know, if if Winnipeg doesn't want him want to offer him eight years, I guess the question is, is there another NHL team out there that that would be willing to go that far? Uh, and we don't know the answer. I guess so far we can assume the answer is probably not, because if there was, um, he would probably be moved. Now, you know, Hus, we talk about trades. Put me down if we're trying to rate the odds. I, th- I think the Jets aren't done trading this offseason. However, Shifley and Hellebuck may not be the source of the trade. I, I firmly believe that there's a move or two that Dayoff is going to make when it comes to the blue line. And I think we got a little bit of a little bit of a hint from Kevin Dayoff at his availability on free agency day. You know, he never tells us he has trouble at times answering basic questions clearly, but I think he did offer a glimpse into the mindset where he acknowledged that there's maybe a bit of an issue right now with with a number of young defensemen and not a whole lot of room for them to break in. And the idea of listening and taking calls and seeing what's out there, um, you know, I think the Jets, they would not be doing a very good job if they weren't listening to what other teams might be offering or trying to find, even if it means creative ways, to open a spot or two on the blue line for a Billy Hanela, for a Declan Chisholm. Um, so I, I think, you know, to me, there's probably a greater chance that the Jets trade a defenseman between now and early September than there is that they trade Hellebuck or Shifley. Yeah, I mean, I certainly think that that is something that they would like to do. Um, if they don't, you're basically guaranteeing Billy is playing for the Moose again. Um, until an injury opens up a spot, and you're probably carrying 8D. Yeah. So, um, you know, with Declan Chisholm, if you don't want to expose him to waivers. So um, it is difficult. And, I mean, we've heard the reports. I mean, they, I mean, the Jets were talking to Philly about Travis Sanheim to get out of the Nate Schmidt contract. Right. But all that does, I mean, it doesn't save you any money, and it adds six more years after the two years that Nate Schmidt's owed, and, well, and let me throw one other thing because a lot I saw I saw some people making it sound like it was going to be a Schmidt for Sanheim deal. Absolutely not. There's a good chance the Jets were being asked to part with their first round draft pick. So, I mean, if if you're the like that, everybody's, that that's a hang up. Yeah, I mean, I mean, everybody's pretty excited about Colby Barlow, right? Like if if the trade was Colby Barlow and Nate Schmidt for a max contract Travis Sanheim. Like, I, I don't know. And, and clearly the Jets didn't feel like that was a deal that they could make. And as it turns out, no, nobody felt like Sanheim was a deal they could make because he's still a member of the Flyers, even though there's a lot of talk of a moving. Um, so, you know, I think for the Jets, it wasn't just as easy as just straight swap of term um, to replace Schmidt with Sanheim. I think if that was the trade, 
the Jets absolutely would have swallowed the extra term on Travis Sanheim um, because I think at this point, we would all agree that Travis Sanheim is a better player than Nate Schmidt. Um, yeah, listen, the uh, but uh, I mean, that the cap, the cap money that will come off the books when Nate For Schmidt sure. is done. I mean, would they like that to happen sooner? For sure. But it's unlikely for uh, for that to for that to happen right now, and you know. Let me with, just throw. Sorry, Hus, to interrupt you, but yeah. yet there is a second buyout window that is now open for the Jets because of the arbitration uh, that's been set for Gabe Velarde and Morgan. I'm not saying the Jets will buy Nate Schmidt out, but you wonder. If it's at least, I mean, they already bought Blake Wheeler out. So it's not like we can say this organization doesn't buy players out. They just bought out the most loyal, longstanding member of the organization. Um, Is it possible that they would, that that would be the route? If they can't find a trade partner that makes sense, is that something they'd be willing to do? And all I'm saying, I don't know the answer to that, but there is now the potential to at least go down that road because uh, they've had two players um, you know, file for salary arbitration, yeah. whether, whether Velarde and Barron actually get, I, I I'm sure there'll be a deal probably reached before their arbitration dates, but it does allow for teams to go the, the, the buyout route. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll answer that. I think it's a big no. I mean, I think, and again, Blake Wheeler wasn't bought out because he wasn't productive anymore. Correct. I mean, Blake Wheeler was an organizational decision that they needed to move on to a new era of leadership. It was about the locker room. It was about the group. And frankly, that's why Nate Schmidt is here. I mean, if they did trade him, they would be losing something that I think he's one of the guys that really adds a lot to that team in that atmosphere. And you know what? Hey, six million is a lot to be playing on your 5.9, whatever. It's a lot to be playing on your, on your third pairing. Um, but at least for this season, um, you know, and maybe he's in the press box some games. And it's not that's not entirely out of the question. But I don't think they would cut another check for what it would be like eight million dollars and have another four million dollars in cap penalties the next two years. Yeah. To move uh, to move on from that. Yeah, tough to, pill to swallow for sure. Yeah. Back to Heli for a minute though. Because I'm still thinking more about this short term deal. Because if there's not a team out there that is willing to pay him what he thinks he deserves. And he certainly, he has earned. I mean, I think that if there's any team that would be willing to do that, it's the Winnipeg Jets. Right. But I, right. I but I also understand, especially with the way this team looks going forward, that they wouldn't want to be going for five years or for six years. Um, I could make an argument that a very smart thing on both sides to do would be a nine and a half million dollar contract. That's two or three years. It gets you through this next little while. Um, it gives Hellebuck the opportunity at some point, maybe even still to be traded and sign another deal, to still play at a very high level, to right. have years left where he signs another contract. I mean, the other option is that if he's signing a long-term deal, like in eight years, it's not going to be. It's not going to start with a nine. It's going to probably be eight or maybe even a little bit less because you're getting there until you're whatever, 38, 39. And I don't think that's a business the Jets want to get into, especially considering what happened with Wheeler. But if the, if that market isn't there right now, yep. will it be next year if he's completely free on the market? Probably. Um, but, I mean, that is something I think I would consider that at least locks him in for the next few years at a salary that he certainly feels that he's deserved and earned. 
and then they can work more on sending him to a place that he really wants to go. And if not, that's not the case at the end of a two or three year extension, he's back on the free agent market, maybe not able to get nine and a half, but at least he got it in his prime when he absolutely deserves to be paid that much. Yeah. And a a two year extension, for example, would marry him up with Kyle Connors contract before he's set to become a UFA. Um, Nikola Ehlers has another year on top of this coming one. Um, Adam Lowry also has two more years like Kyle Connor. Josh Morrissey signed for four more years after this. But you're right, Haas. I mean, a deal like that, that's something you could probably sell very easily to the fan base. You're, you're By oh. bringing Connor Hellebuck back, you're saying we, we have a chance, you know, as long as we have him in net, we always have a chance to win a game, win a playoff series. Um, but you're right. You're not committing – you're not committing so far down the road that you may come to regret it. And you're also leaving that door open for Hellebuck to cash in one more time, whether that was with the Jets or another team in a few years from now, when presumably he's still going to be a guy at top on the top of his game uh, who will have great value. So uh, that is something that I, I don't think we were really thinking about going into this summer, but maybe the market uh, bears that out, and and it's a great point by you that uh, that that could be a route that maybe both sides uh, mutually agree upon. That I think everybody would come away feeling pretty good about it. Yeah, I, I mean, listen, it doesn't lock Hellebuck into Winnipeg for the rest of his career. It gives him the opportunity, and I'm sure there'd be some internal talks where if there's a potential of a trade with one of these teams that makes sense for the Jets, sure. they could do that if you've got a little bit of term, but not. That eight-year term, I think the contract is far more tradable. And it also works with this window with some of their young goalies to sort of find that next generation of puck stoppers here. Um, I don't know. To to me, I think it's worth the conversation. And I'm not sure who would be more keen on that. Well, I think the Jets would probably be more keen on that. But if Ray Petkow has, you know, kind of done enough work around the league and from what we're hearing that that market isn't there, certainly for a goalie that would command that you get another couple years to prove that he's the best in the biz and is as reliable as any goaltender playing with a guy and another client, a pet cow in Laurent Brassois. Yeah. I mean, to me, I think it would be something that could work and it would be the best case scenario for the Winnipeg jets because um, listen, you don't get better by trading your best player and that is, or losing your best player at the oh. end of next season. And, one way or the other. And I mean, to be honest, the other thing that would be so difficult um, to happen, less so with Shifley, but particularly with Hellebuck, is if they're back here on expiring contracts and the team's playing well and the team's yeah. in a good position, I mean, you realize that it's probably your responsibility, big picture as a general manager, to see what you can get at the deadline. And I'm sure it would be significant for a team that for teams that wouldn't have to pay going forward. But man, that's a tough trigger to pull when, you know, you'd start off every season trying to win. And, you know, if you're in a situation where the team has earned their spot in the standings, how do you look around the locker room and say, listen, this is about the future. We're getting rid of Connor Hellebuck right now. Um, <laughs> although, I mean, I'm sure Loren Brassois could go a long way to giving them the confidence that he can do the job if he has a good first half of the season. Well, the the, the room that wouldn't play a well and imagine – in this market, this fan base, where right now Haas, a very aggressive season ticket campaign is underway, and you're asking people, hey, reinvest in us. Um, we're we're going to give you a reason to to spend your hard-earned money. And then imagine how that would play out if 
a t- the team is in a playoff spot and then they basically wave the white flag or pull the shoot. I, I, another part of your point that I really like, Haas, is, you know, right now the Jets do not have a goalie, a number one in waiting, right? And that there's teams that have maybe that have like a young phenom that is ready to just break through and play more games. The Jets don't have that. They have Lauren Brassois, who certainly has shown a lot of promise as a backup and has even shown glimpses that he can, if given the ball, that he can run with it for a bit. He's obviously got to stay healthy. That's been a bit of an issue, but he's a very motivated guy. But Lauren Brassois, as he said in his Zoom with us last week, that he wants to be not only a starting goalie one day, but he believes he can be one of the best in the NHL. That's great. Uh, and I think he'll be given more opportunity here in Winnipeg, even if Connor Hellebuck remains this season. Uh, but the, the the other thing a shorter-term extension would do is it buys the Jets' time to see whether it's Lauren Brassois emerging as something more than than just a backup or whether it's one of these young kids, you know, the reigning Ontario Hockey League goalie of the year in DiVincitis, the reigning Western Hockey League goalie of the year in Milic. Those guys aren't ready to step into an NHL role this season, but they might be in a couple of years. And so you bought yourself a little more time. You see what you have in the pipeline. And then if you're talking about one day trading Connor Hellebuck, maybe then you don't have to get a goalie in return because you've got a guy already just waiting for his opportunity. So, you know, the more we sort of talk about that out loud, uh, I, I like the idea. Absolutely. And, uh, I guess we'll, we'll see how the Jets and maybe most importantly, Connor Hellebuck's camp ultimately feels. But it does create a, another potential scenario um, to this whole situation. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how this one plays out. Yeah, if the eight years aren't out there for Connor Hellebuck, I do think it could be a way to kind of meet in the middle on somewhat of a win-win in the short term and you know sure. allow him to sign another contract uh, later on. Mike, great stuff as always. Uh well, you're not going on the, the on the cruise anytime <laughs> soon. Yet. So uh, we'll talk still, we'll yeah. talk to you next week and see uh, where things stand with the Jets and uh, everything else in and around the hockey club and the National Hockey League. Have a great one. You bet, Huss. Enjoy the week, folks. All right, we're going to uh, talk actually a little All Star Game in Derby and Wimbledon with John Horn coming up in just a second. But first, let's thank our friends over at Princess Auto and more. Big thanks to our friends over at Princess Auto. Looking forward to the uh, next Bomber home game and another Princess Auto tailgate party. Starting two hours before kickoff with $5 beers, $3.50 pop, and hot dogs and great entertainment. Of course, Princess Auto is where you'll find the best deals on the most unique assortment of tools and equipment around. Everything you need to complete the projects on your list or start something new is at Princess Auto. Two Winnipeg locations, Panet Road, Portage Avenue West. And you can always shop online 24-7, 365 at princessauto.com. A big thanks to our friends at Consolidated Supply for their great support of Winnipeg Sports Talk. Spicy, Joe, the gang down there, the leaders in irrigation systems, artificial turf, and golf carts, both new and used as the exclusive club car dealer in Manitoba. We've also got other great options for your property, including amazing hot tubs and awesome outdoor kitchens. Not to mention, they are the experts and leaders in small engine parts and repair. Pop by and check them out and check out the new Consolidated Supply Showroom Open to the public at 1395 Niagara Road East or find out more online at cte.ca. NFL season's just around the corner. 
All that new merch is coming into Royal Sports as well. Of course, you know they've got the best selection of Winnipeg Jets gear, Blue Bombers gear, all the new Seabears hats as well, and soccer merch from around the globe. Also, Toronto Blue Jays and every NFL team represented over at Royal Sports. And it's not just great merch. Take advantage and make the most of your summer with soccer, baseball, softball, tennis equipment, disc golf, and a huge selection of bikes. Pop down and see it for yourself, 750 Pembina Highway, and follow them on Instagram at Royal Sports Pembina for the latest merchandise drops and sale information. And hey, where's the best place to get together with friends for the big game? You know it. It's always your local Boston pizza. Enjoy ice-cold schooners, world-famous BP wings, and gourmet pizzas, and the latest from the BP feature menu, including the new Korean barbecue chicken sandwich. And hey, if you're staying in, you can always order online at bostonpizza.com. And don't forget, folks, Gold Eyes are back. A six-game series with Cleburne all the way up from Texas begins tonight. You can get out there and check out Gold Eyes baseball over the course of this week, but make a point of circling July 26th on the calendar and join us for our Winnipeg Sports Talk night. Great response so far. We've had to hold more tickets, but that's a good problem to have. Order yours now. 15 bucks. They include a Winnipeg Sports Talk koozie while supplies last. We've got some great Gold Eyes raffle prizes as well, which will be given away. Get to winnipegsportstalk.com. Order your tickets today and join us July 26th at the ballpark. But in the meantime, get on out there for one of these six games this week, beginning tonight at Shaw Park. All right. All right, really looking forward to that Gold Eyes game. Get to the site and uh, join us on July 26th. Uh, speaking of baseball, awesome derby last night. And uh, tonight is the Major League Baseball All-Star game. I was planning on mostly talking tennis with John Horn, but he happens to be in Seattle. Was at the derby last night. We'll be at the game tonight. So uh, let's head there right now and welcome in John Horn. John, uh, it's great to have you on. I thought we'd be talking a little Wimbledon. We will get to, but... Uh, taking in all-star festivities there in the Emerald City. We do multi-sports here at the uh, Horn uh, Clubhouse. It's uh, lots, of, lots of different things going on at this time of year. So uh, you go where the action is and uh, happen to be in Seattle. I have maintained for the last couple of years that the rule change in the home run derby for Major League Baseball, going to timed sessions as opposed to outs, maybe was the was the most significant rule change certainly in any all-star type of event we've seen. I mean, it was basically unwatchable a few years ago with the outs and guys just not swinging. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. now it has turned into, frankly, something that I think a lot of people would prefer watching than the all-star game itself. And the all-star game stands ahead of pretty much every other sport. What was it like being there last night? Because, man, did those guys put on a show. Yeah, I mean, it, you're right. It's certainly uh, it's certainly better going to the timed uh, version instead of doing the outs. I think it makes it way more fun for the fans. I mean, obviously, they get more opportunities to get home run balls. Uh, it just makes for a more entertaining event. I mean, sometimes it's hard to keep up with the amount of home runs they're hitting because they're just bashing one after the other. But I think, you know, for, from a fan's perspective, yeah. And, I mean, that's ultimately what this whole week is about or weekend is about, uh, including the game. It's supposed to be about the fans. It's supposed to be about... Uh, you know, making it entertaining for them. I mean, quite frankly, I think that the home run contest, you're right, almost uh, dwarfs the game in terms of the excitement level. I mean, the game 
players are in there, especially the pitchers. They're in there for an inning or two. Uh, I know Garrett Cole said he's excited to start the game. So as a starter, I'm sure it's pretty cool to be there. Uh, but I think once you've you know played uh, you know an inning or two, you're kind of like, okay, thanks very much. Uh, don't want to get hurt. A couple of days off here before we get back at it. So uh, certainly the the home run contest is is much more exciting that way. Uh, you know, I know uh, last night they after the home run contest they went through a whole bunch of previous home run contests uh, on ESPN and they were showing like you know when Griffey won it way back and um, you know all the different years and you can see all the different outs, you know, and it's just, it's, it's such, it's, it's, it's not even close to the excitement level. I mean, no wonder, you know, uh, Rodriguez is hitting 41 home runs. I mean, there were guys obviously couldn't do that previously. Uh, when we saw Vladdy Guerrero, uh, the dad of Vladdy Guerrero senior winning it, uh, 16 years ago, 17 years ago, um, you know, the, the final just didn't have the same sort of excitement level. So, uh, I think the more you can do for the fans and the more that you can show, um, you know, get balls into the stands, I think it's better. Now, personally, I would like to see a little bit more to the all-star skills competition as opposed to just the home run contest. I've always said that I'd like to see some sort of format where, you know, you have uh, some guys in the outfield trying to throw runners out at home, uh, as if it was like a sack fly kind of idea, uh, maybe having the, the fastest guys in the game, you know, racing around from home to uh, all the way around the bases to get home the fastest, um, you know, add it, add a little bit more to it than just the home run contest, kind of like the NBA all-star game does with the three point contest. It's not just the dunk contest. I think the biggest problem is you're having to get players to participate. They don't want to get hurt. Uh, you know, that some players might think it's a little hokey, um, but I'd like to see a little bit more added to the home run contest, but certainly they've, uh, they've improved it over the years so that it's more exciting. Well, uh, folks should check out my, uh, my Twitter feed from yesterday. I retweeted the KBO, the Korean baseball organization has a bunt off a bunt contest where they yeah. bunt it into a targets. Got quite a kick out of that. Um, yeah, something like that would be great. See, I like that kind of stuff, right? It's just you got to get players to buy in, and that's the big problem is that, you know, 95% of the league is on a four-day hiatus as part of the collective bargaining agreement. Uh, now you've got to ask players, okay, don't take those four days off. Take a couple days off only and then participate in this little contest we got going. We'll throw some money on the line, which they probably don't need anyway. Uh, but it would be fun for the fans. I'd like to see more of that sort of stuff. I'll say this. They're doing a hell of a lot better job than the NBA is. I mean, the NBA had, as much as it was fun, I mean, the guy that won the dunk contest was from the G League. He wasn't yeah. even playing in the NBA <laughs> most of the year. I mean, that's how yeah. far they have to go down for the dunk contest. But anyways, it was an absolute riot last night. And we'll look forward to uh, seeing the AL and the NL go at it tonight in the uh, in the game. Just while we're talking about baseball, I mean, you're around there. I'm sure there's tons of media. Can't imagine how much of the conversation is surrounding the future of Shohei Otani right now. I mean, just, I mean, yeah. first of all, I mean, the unicorn of our lifetime when it comes to athletes with what he's doing right now on both sides of the plate for the Angels. He's going to be a free agent. I mean, I'm sure you've heard some insane numbers about what his next contract will be. Um, And, of course, the Angels, who stink, I think they've lost 9 of 10 coming into the break, even with Mike Trout, who unfortunately is also injured right now, have a pretty big decision to make. I mean, to trade a player like Otani at the deadline or before that, could completely set them up for a complete turnaround and a rebuild of an organization that arguably really needs it. That being said, John, it's pretty tough to get rid of um, that player on your own volition. What are you hearing about Otani and uh, what the Angels will or won't do come trade deadline? 
Yeah, I mean, it's a tough one. Uh, I, I'm not quite sure how it's going to play out. Uh, my guess is, uh, based on the ownership of the Angels, that their plan is is that they plan to re-sign him or try to re-sign him at the end of the year. Uh, so I don't exactly see him getting traded uh, before the end of the season. I just... You know, it seems like, okay, it might be the logical thing to do to try and get something for him. I mean, most people are thinking that he is going to walk from the Angels. Uh, you know, I mean, the Angels are an interesting franchise. I mean, they haven't really done a lot uh, over the past bunch of years. They certainly haven't done a lot with Otani and Trout. I mean, you're looking at two of the game's best. Uh, you could say Otani arguably is the game's best player right now, just based on what he can do. Uh, and the fact that they can't even make the postseason is 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 kind of laughable. So uh, some players, you know, I was having a conversation with my son about this earlier to, uh, yesterday, and we were talking about, you know, how some players, you know, winning a World Series and winning a championship is the be-all, end-all. They're, they're going to take less money to go to a team that uh, will, has a chance to win a championship. But to some players, you know, winning a championship isn't everything, and money is, means a lot. And are you going to give up $100 million to play on a team that has no chance to, to – uh, or to has a chance to win a World Series? Or are you going to go and play on a team that probably won't win a World Series, but you're going to make $100 million more? So uh, I don't know in Otani's headspace where he's at, I'm sure. I mean, everybody should be playing the game to win a win a World Series. That would be the ultimate thing. But you know, do you take you know six hundred million over five hundred million to play for a team that doesn't have a shot, or do you take a little less money to have a team to you know to on a team that has a shot? So, I mean, the obvious contenders that are in there when you talk about any big player at any point, you know, you think of the Yankees, you think of the Red Sox, you think of the Cardinals, you think of the Dodgers, you know, the Padres, perhaps. Um, you know, those seem to be the teams that are always in the mix when it comes to you know, the big name players, uh, you know, Otani being Japanese though, you wonder, does he want that light? Does he want that limelight in New York? Does he want, you know, what some of the other Japanese players went through in New York? Um, you know, does he have a connection to Seattle because of Ichiro and, and the fact that, you know, Seattle is a, is a spot that he's mentioned fit for him. Uh, I, I mean, I would think it's unlikely, but you never know. I mean, I personally, I'd love to see the Jays just throw a boatload and imagine how, baseball would be so hyped up in Canada um, oh. if Otani was playing for the Blue Jays. I mean, it would be, it would be absolutely insane. So uh, there's a lot of options on the table. Um, would he sign with the angels? I would be surprised, but you know, if, if you throw a, a whole bunch of money at somebody, um, you know, playing in California is not the worst thing in the world. Um, but maybe he wants to play somewhere with a little less tax or play somewhere with a little less uh, notoriety. And, um, you know, maybe he wants a better shot at winning a World Series. So a lot of things involved in, yeah. in what will happen. You, you know, you, I mean, a couple things on that. First of all, if the Angels do re-sign him, they'll have over a billion dollars tied up in Mike Trout and Shohei Otani. <laughs> yeah. Which, yeah, yeah. I don't usually get phased or, you know, uh, the, the numbers in pro sports now are so insane that – you know, it rarely even catches your eye. That, yeah. though, for a team that doesn't win is, yeah. I mean, absolutely unheard of. And you mentioned a team like Toronto or Seattle. I mean, this guy, John, is so special and is such a phenom yeah. that as yeah. long as he stays healthy and, you know, and plays through this contract, I mean, you're talking about a guy that can completely turn around a franchise and in a lot of ways, an industry in a certain part. I mean, I, mm -hmm. I've thought long about Seattle, and, and I, I, I'm, and I'm not sure. Maybe I mean you're very well traveled. You might be able to speak to this uh, more. Um, you know, does playing on the West Coast in a market like that, or in California, does that give him more sponsorship opportunities because of 
the greater Asian population that is on the West Coast for uh, for mm-hmm. obvious reasons. And obviously, it, the other thing is if the games are more available in Japan, um, you'd have to think that that means a lot in the pocketbook at the end of the uh, story. So there's a lot that goes into this decision because he'll be hailed as a hero wherever he goes. And uh, I don't think uh, there's going to be a lot of teams that are going to be willing to sign whatever the check needs to be cut to get him to play for them. Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's definitely something about playing on the West Coast. Uh, you know, we've seen a lot of Japanese players play on the East Coast, too. So uh, the Yankees have, have stockpiled guys over the years, and uh, the Red Sox have had a few as well. And, uh, you know, wherever Otani goes, just like a lot of the other Japanese players that played the game, uh, when Ichiro was playing, I mean, the amount of uh, reporters just from Japan who followed Ichiro uh, and the Yankees was the same same thing when they had their guys. I mean, there were there was like a contingent, like 16 Japanese cameras and reporters who would follow him around to every single game throughout the year. So uh, I think no matter where he plays, he's icon, uh, you know, like a lot of the Japanese players in all sports are. Uh, we use the tennis, all you throw a tennis thing in there with uh, Kei Nishikori. I mean, that guy is is uh, is right up there in the Otani world as well for, t- for tennis. Uh, I mean, that guy, uh, J- Japanese sports fans love their athletes and they love their stars. And I don't think, you know, whether, whether Otani plays for the Yankees or the Mariners or the Marlins or whoever, uh, Marlins is going to happen, by the way. But if, if, he, if he does, uh, he's going to be popular uh, no matter where he plays in, Japan, in the major leagues in Japan. Uh, will he get more opportunities on the West Coast and the East Coast? Hard to say. I mean, a lot of the big companies are on the East Coast. Uh, I think he'll do fine either way. Either way, I think he'll be he'll be making his cake no matter what. Um, but I, I would like to see him sort of stay on the West Coast. I kind of sometimes get frustrated uh, in a lot of sports where you see the majority of the stars always end up playing in the East. So I always like to see you know Connor Connor McDavid playing for the Oilers, uh, seeing other, you know, LeBron playing in LA as opposed to everybody playing for, you know, the Yankees or the Celtics or, you know, it's nice to have it spread out. I think uh, it gives uh, recognition to the sport. And if you're a, a true sports fan or if you're a baseball fan, um, you know, you're going to stay up and watch Otani play at 10 o'clock at night Eastern uh, as opposed to, you know, just watching all these games at seven o'clock Eastern. Uh, I think it's good for the sport to have him in the West. So, uh, personally, I'd like to see him stay in the West. I think Seattle would be a great fit for him. I mean, I think it would be a perfect market for him. Uh, he he can speak to Ichiro about that. Ichiro spent you know the majority of his career here. Um, the guy is an icon. I mean, they're selling. Uh, I don't know what the jersey sales are like for the All Star Game here, but the Ichiro stuff that's on the shelves is is flying off the shelves. So um, you know that he would he would do very nicely here. Uh, Seattle would build a de- decent team around him. They've already got a decent team, uh, but I think he would be a nice fit. Uh, here in Seattle. Oh yeah, J Rod and uh, and Otani on the same team. I mean, yeah. a lot of potential there. And um, you know, you, I just quickly back to the Derby. I mean, a huge night for the Jays and Vlad and uh, and Schneider. Sure was getting roughed up pitching on the mound, but uh, that's uh, that was the name. <laughs> yeah. That was the name of the game last night. And uh, you know, obviously, I mean, it is just an exhibition and a fun individual event, um, but certainly a good thing for uh, for the Blue Jays. Um, Want to quickly get your. Uh, pulse on the tennis right now we're into the quarters uh at wimbledon i know you were there beforehand leading up to the tournament what was the report card for uh team canada uh at the uh, all england tennis club from your perspective john 
report card. If I were to give an overall report card for uh, for seven subjects, uh, which are the seven players who were there in singles, uh, I would have to give it a C plus. I would go with. I would think. Uh, you know, Felix losing in the first round. I mean, was a little disappointing, but not entirely surprising. So I'll give him sort of a a passing grade just for that. Uh, I thought that uh, Denis Shapovalov got through, you know, some matches, got to the fourth round. I think that was good for him. Uh, you know, he, he, you know, he didn't play great in the final match, bit of an injury that he's been dealing with. So uh, for him to put three matches together at a slam, he hasn't put three matches together for quite some time. So yeah, he hadn't uh, had a good I, year at all. Had he? Yeah, he's been really struggling. Uh, I, I, it's, it's, it's just been tough. I mean, keeping the ball in the court is his issue. He's had a real struggle with a serve, a lot of double faults. Uh, you know, there were matches that he won at Wimbledon where he, he fixed that and he played better. Uh, but that's what you hear about Shabalov whenever you watch him and you hear commentators talk about it too. It's just the patience. You know, take some more patience. Don't go for the big down the line backhand winner when you don't need to. Uh, you know, on the return of serve, don't just blasting it into the corner. Like, you know, it's an opportunity to get into the point, um, you know, especially if you've lost a few points in a row. So, uh, you know, I, I'll give him a, a, a decent mark. I'll give him a B grade just for getting three matches in a row. Um, you know, the other Canadians, uh, Bianca, yeah, I, I think she played, she played all right uh you know had a good opportunity uh to win her final match uh, wasn't able to come through but playing on Jabur is a tough player and i think the the stoppage of play kind of hindered things for her uh, when she was it was three two she was up in the uh in the final set and then had to come back uh, after a delay I, I don't understand what they're doing at wimbledon with the roof and why it's not closed when it's it's going to be raining they, they should be closing the roof uh i think it's 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 crazy when you have a roof that you have to know the rain is coming uh you got to be closing that roof so i thought that that was a, a hindrance for bianca and kind of affected her final set and she ended up losing to jabur so that was too bad um you know the other canadians rebecca marino lost in the first round carol zhao got through to her first uh slam uh qual or got through qualifying for the first time uh, at a slam played her first career grand slam lost in three sets so good on her and getting there uh so you know if you if you're to overlook the you know overlook the entire tournament i think that you know they they, they played reasonably well but uh, you know, not not ex not completely expected. When you look at the draw and you look at the caliber of players, I think Shapovalov's draw was actually the best. Maybe that's why he got to where he did. I thought everybody else had really tough draws, even if Felix were to get through. Uh, and you look at uh, where Bianca, what she would have had to go through too. Um, you know, I think it was going to be tough for her to go deep as well. So, uh, and she's not she's not a great grass court player. I mean, she did get to a final last year. Has had a couple results, but she never really played well at Wimbledon. So, you know, overall, I think that. Uh, you know, I'm giving it a C plus grade just based on all those uh, things I just mentioned. Uh, as far as uh, what's remaining, I mean, on the men's side, uh, Joker actually dropped the first set to Rublev in uh, one of the mm -hmm. quarters that's happening today. Sinner's up 2-1. Uh, and then later on, we've got uh, Alcaraz, um, Carlos Alcaraz, who's the number one seed. I really just wanted to ask you, I mean, we think of Joker as the last man standing amongst the all-time greats that have been battling over these years. Um, but Alcaraz is the number one seed. Who who is who's the favorite right now going into assuming that Djokovic makes it through and uh, these guys make it to the semis? Yeah, I mean, I think I think you got to go Djokovic. Uh, I mean, he's looking to win five in a row. They got, they got, I mean, he's an outstanding player just on all surfaces. Uh, I mentioned to somebody we were talking with somebody the other day, and we were talking about you know who's the best all time player. And I mean, in every year it seems that 
you know, I always used to be a Federer guy and then it was always tough because Nadal was right there and Djokovic was right there. And I think now every year that Djokovic continues to play in every tournament that he continues to win every slam he wins, he just cements himself as the greatest of all time. I mean, he's not just, he's not just winning on grass courts. Uh, he's won the Australian open a gazillion times. He's won the French three times. He's won the U S open. You know, he's, he, he dominates at Wimbledon, uh, you know, and the fact, you know, say what you want about his COVID stances and everything that he did there. But the fact that, you know, he took time off because he was forced to take time off and then he comes back and plays the odd tournament and then he would win those tournaments. Uh, that, that's difficult to do. I mean, there usually you have to come back and play a tournament just to sort of get back in the group, but he would be off and they would come back and he'd win Dubai or he'd win uh, another tournament. Uh, you know, he hasn't played uh, on us soil for so long because, because of this COVID, all the COVID rules. So uh, he cements himself to me as the greatest of all time. And I think, you know, he is certainly the player to beat a little surprise that he uh, lost the first set to Rublev, but I think Rublev is a, is a, is a really good player. And he's kind of one of these players who's ready to break out. He's never had a lot of success at slams, but man, he's a tough player. He's a great player to watch. And uh, you know, maybe he's the, maybe he's a story this year. I don't know, but uh, you know, Alcaraz is number one in the world. Uh, some will say he's number one in the world based on the, the, crazy rankings that have happened. Uh, Djokovic should be number one, in my opinion. Uh, but, you know, Alcaraz won the U.S. Open last year. He's a big player. Uh, and there's going to be some good matches down the stretch here, and uh, w- everyone's looking for that Alcaraz-Djokovic final. Uh, can it happen? I certainly think it, sh- it could happen. Um, Djokovic just knows in these situations, look, he's down a set, but uh, he knows how to come back. This is his court. The guy's won 32 matches in a row at Wimbledon. So, uh, you know, do I see him losing this match? Probably not. But uh, Rublev's putting up a good fight. And, uh, you know, it just we talk about this all the time uh, on your show is just how balanced the tours are with so many good players. There's so many good men's players, so many good women's players. It's not just, you know, the Nadal, Federer, Murray, Djokovic show any longer on the men's side. So many good players, Rublev and Sinner, uh, Felix, uh, Alcaraz, uh, there's just there's a list of guys who are just great, and same on the women's side, and we saw a little bit of that today too. So. Well, two big upsets, John. Um, you know, looking at this, uh, Eva Svitolina dropped the uh, number one seed uh, Swiatek in three, and uh, Vondrasova came back and um, won in the third set against Jessica Pagula. One and four seeds both out, yeah. and there's going to be an unseeded player in the final because those two women are going to be playing each other in the semis. Yeah, well, Svitolina got in as a wild card. I mean, she didn't even really have the wow. ranking to get in as a, get, get in uh, just as a regular player. So uh, the fact that she got in as a wild card, I mean, look, she's been around for a number of years. She's been a top ten player uh, for a number of years. I mean, to put this in perspective, I mean, Svitolina had a baby nine months ago, and she's getting into a Wimbledon semifinal. I mean, that nine months ago, we're not talking like a year and a half ago or two years ago. We're talking nine months ago, and in those nine months, she's won a tournament. She's got to the quarters of the French. And now she's in the semifinals of Wimbledon. I mean, that's that's pretty remarkable stuff. And I, I've never had a baby. I've got three kids. I've never had a baby. But I, I don't know coming back from uh, having a child nine months ago uh, to being in the Wimbledon semifinals. I mean, that's that's pretty remarkable stuff. So uh, for her to do it, uh, I think her ranking is around 76. Uh, Vondrosova is uh, number 42 in the world. You're right. We're going to have two, uh, an unseated player in the Wimbledon final. Uh, you don't see that very often, um, and you don't see a wild card get this far in the semis. I think it's only happened five times in the open era where a wild card on the women's side has actually got to a semifinal. 
Um, you may remember uh, a bunch of years ago, I think it was the U.S. Open in t- 2009, Kim Kleisters uh, won the U.S. Open, and she was a wild card, and she just had a baby. So uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's pretty cool to see. And, again, it just shows that, you know, Svitolina just gets on a roll. Uh, she had a really nice win against Azarenka and then parlayed that into a win against the world number one who'd won, like, 14 matches in a row. Uh, that anything can happen in, in, in women's sport. It's not just the number one against number two in every tournament. It's so many different players from, uh, you know, different countries who play well on different surfaces. Uh, and Svitolina's a good player. Like, she, she's so kind of like we talked about Djokovic, good on all surfaces. Svitolina's good on all surfaces, too. So, um, you know, it, it's surprising for sure but certainly the caliber of player that she is um you know she certainly uh, deserves this i think she's beaten the number one player in the world eight times in her career or something like that so she's she's good against the top players so it, it's pretty cool and the fact that she's from ukraine kind of adds to the to the cool story as well after everything that uh, her country's going through well, for sure. I was just going to bring that up. A lot of people around uh, these parts, we've got a huge Ukrainian uh, population here in Winnipeg will be uh, pulling for her. And not what a great story he is. Listen, enjoy the ball game tonight, John. Great to catch up again. Let's do this soon. And uh, hopefully we'll have it as an exciting game tonight as we had in the home run derby last night. Enjoy your time in Seattle. Absolutely, guys. Thanks for having me. And uh, maybe next time we talk, uh, Otani will be a Blue Jay. What do you think about that? <laughs> Sign me up for that. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thanks, guys. What a great weekend at uh, Folk Fest over the last few days. I know Little Brown Jug was a big supporter and sponsor of Folk Fest, and a lot of people uh, out there enjoyed the Folk Fest lager. You can pick that up still right now throughout the summer at Little Brown Jug, along with 1919 and Generic Lager, both of which will be available at the ballpark coming up for Winnipeg Sports Talk Night and throughout the year. And, of course, 1919 is available at the stadium, IG Field, as well as they're now official partners with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Don't forget, Saturdays at Little Brown Jug on the patio, What's Golden is back coming up. They've teamed up with Shorty's Pizza, new food, new DJs every Saturday, noon until sunset. Great summer programming at Little Brown Jug. Find out more at littlebrownjug.ca. And, of course, follow them on Instagram and Twitter for uh, the latest events coming up down at LBJ. Speaking of events, I cannot wait to get out to Aikens Lake Wilderness Lodge coming up um, next month. Always my favorite three or four days of the year. If you are looking for an amazing corporate outing or friends and family trip where you can have a a world-class fly-in fishing experience and be on the water in less than two hours from the city of Winnipeg, Aikens Lake is the spot. Find out more about the one-of-a-kind Aikens experience online at AikensLake.ca or hit our pal Pitt Turen up at Aikens Lake on Twitter. For more information, limited availability left this season, and they're already booking in to 2024. And, uh, hey, we're uh, just a couple weeks away from the Open Championship. This week, though, many of the stars of the PGA Tour are heading out to the Scottish Open of course, we'll do our golf reports once the tournament begins for our friends at Breezy Bend Golf and Country Club. Course is absolutely mint right now. If you're looking for an amazing long-term home for you and your family on a golf course, one of Winnipeg's top private clubs, make it breezy. Talk to Corey Johnson at the clubhouse or find out more online at breezybend.ca about getting on the waiting list for the 2024 season. All righty, let's get Remo back in here, and we will do our lines for Kuba. Pretty slow night in sports. Not so here in Winnipeg, though. As we mentioned, Gold Eyes tonight opening that six-game series against Cleburne. 
and the Sea Bears are back at home. In fact, before I look anywhere, do we have what's what's the line in the Sea Bears game tonight? Sea Bears, ooh, six point favorites over the Saskatchewan Rattlers. That is a wow. uh, that's a that's a big number. People finally respecting the Sea Bears. They did beat Saskatchewan already in. Um, they beat them in Saskatchewan, I do believe. Let me just get the uh, big rivalry. Sea Bears, well, rap. for sure. You know what? Sea Bears did a good job actually of um, of doing a bunch of videos with fans talking about the uh, the Winnipeg Saskatchewan rivalry and how everyone was so fired up to big rival to win. Let's see here. The oh, yeah, they beat them by three the last time, and that was on the road. But six points is a lot in the CBL. I mean, the uh, their last few wins have been by. Uh, nine. What do we got here? They lost to the Blackjacks. They lost to the Alliance. That seems like a, a lot they of points. The Stingers by four. I know it is. I'm going to probably stay away. Although I am 1-0 and career betting on the Sea Bears. I bet them in their last game. Money line minus 119. It came through. Anyways, if you are so inclined to sprinkle on this basketball game tonight in downtown Winnipeg, cool bet's got it. Minus 238 to win. Total is plus is uh, one seventy six, and up minus six. Uh, now, Major League Baseball All Star Game. What do we have here tonight? Uh, oh, it's the usual. Pretty much push it. National League minus one twelve. AL minus one oh nine. It's Garrett Cole. Who's pitching for the NL? I believe it's Zach Gallen is the starter. Interesting. Uh, geez, the total is seven and a half. Why does that seem low? It does seem low. And the over is plus 105 on that. Basically telling you you should be betting the under, but it's pretty juicy. Ah, oh, man, there's so much talent in this game. We'll have to get uh, – well, I'll, I'll reserve my pick, but I think I am going to lean just on an over bet, and hopefully we can see a little bit of, uh, little bit of fireworks out there. Uh, Scottish Open – uh, odds are up. Barbasol Championship odds are up, uh, as well as Wimbledon. A uh, little bit later on, or I guess that's early tomorrow. Uh, Alcaraz minus three eighty-five to move on to the final, and uh, Daniel Medvedev minus five hundred. Big, big favorite. Sinner and Djokovic are set for the semis, and uh, no surprise, the Joker is a big minus five twenty-six favorite. Just a quick look at the CFL lines. For the week, oh, bom uh, Bombers have gone down from nine and a half point favorites to nine point favorites. Riders, Who's the quarterback. Uh, well, we'll find out. We'll find out. I mean, uh, that's why I am surprised. I guess people just thought that's just such a big number. Saskatchewan's one and a half point favorites at home against Calgary. Toronto five point road favorites in Montreal against the Alouettes and the Tie Cats. Our three-point favorites on the road against Edmonton. Plus 132, Elks money line. They have to win no, this game, right? don't. No way. John Hodge said it. If they don't win, they've got Winnipeg, BC, Winnipeg. I think they're next three. Ugh. This is to tie the record. Not 20 straight home losses. North American professional sports. Crazy. <laughs> I uh, liked your question for John. 
saying like this what's the Saskatchewan's record three and one like are they actually good I don't think so yeah they barely beat Edmonton twice yeah oh they played Edmonton yeah they're they're not good I I agree although Trevor Harris did and, throw for 400 yards against the bomber and lost by 18 <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. Anyways, one of the slowest days of the sports calendar. It's great, though, that you're all with us. And if you do want to sprinkle on something, you got the All-Star Game, CFL, and more at CoolBet. Use the promo code WST on your first deposit for a 100% bonus up to 200 bucks. All right, Rima. I had a nice win last night, a big exactor with Club Champ along with Rydum. And um, I'm coming back today. I'm feeling better. I think this is going to be sort of the uh, the turnaround much like the gold eyes at the midway point to the season, I'm turning things around. I've had a dreadful picking season so far, but uh, I'm building off my momentum from yesterday. We talked about Club Champ for a while, and uh, I'm mad that I didn't bet on it to win because I've won on Club Champ before. How did Comrie do that horse yesterday? Comrie. Ooh. What was it called? I just got to check uh, that. The Comrie effect. Yeah, the Comrie, the Comrie rule. Or the Comrie rule. Yeah, that's right. I can't remember what race it was in. So it's kind of I'm going to check right check now because I should have bet on that horse. I'll check. Let's we'll see, see, see if he wins. Let's go through what we've got here right now. Do you have anything in race number one? Yeah, I do. I'm getting into yesterday's racing. I forget even what. Sorry, I'll shut up. Um, yeah, I do. Race one, you said? Yeah. Yeah, bear me a moment to win $5. That's what I got. Nicely done. All right, race number two? Yes, I have horse six to win. Where the money went to win. Oh, where the money went. I'm going with horse number one, a Stardobe with Antonio Whitehall, my favorite, my favorite jockey. Race number three, I am going on a triactor. Three, four, seven. Uh, that is Diane's Wish, Lady Cop, and Mechanic Susie. Do you have anything on race three? No, I don't have race three. I got six and seven. All right. Okay. Uh, race five. I've got a three, five exacta box. Kate's Princess and McLean's Bella. And then race number six. I've got two bets on this one, in fact. I've got nine to win. I think that is the favorite, Gray Admiral. And then I've got a triactor box, one, seven, and nine. Gray Admiral, maybe sometime and looking high. But wait, which so, race was that? With I have, in race six, looking high? I have looking high to win. Yeah, I have Gray Admiral to win. Is that but I have looking high, maybe sometime in Gray Admiral. In uh, Do you think the horse looking high is referencing like looking high up because it's so tall or like looking high? Like it's on drugs. Because mm. if the horse is looking high, like on drugs, then maybe I don't want to bet on it. Maybe it's performance enhancing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just curious the origin of the One name. Of the LASIK. I don't know. I was more than willing to put a sprinkle on a horse called looking high. For, Same. Regardless so, of, regardless so was I. Of well, I just like It's a program selection, but it's got six to one odds. I was, I liked that math. Uh, nicely done. Uh, and you got race seven? Uh, I do have race seven. I got a triactor box. Horses seven to nine. Uh, to 
Tekate Gold, Tecate Gold. What is that? Tale of Tecate Gold, Tale of Atreides. Atreides and Ask the King. Those are all program selections. That's not happening because I'm going with the long shot, 25 to 1, Moore's Miracle. This is a six, this is a six furlong race. And it is coming from Musiman, but it's won their last two races. So it's ready to step up to the competition in the big city, the Cinevoya Downs. Mooseman. Mooseman track. Wow. So is that on HPI? From Mooseman. Uh, it probably, uh, good question. That's uh, actually, I'm not sure. I have not, I have not seen. It may be going the weekends, probably more traditional times. Unlike, uh, but uh, anyways, uh, great night for racing tonight and tomorrow. If I'm feeling better, I think I'm going to head out to the track tomorrow. We'll see. Uh, but you can always stay at home, do it on hpibet.com like mm-hmm. we do. Shout out to our friends at Assiniboia Downs. And uh, as they say, we're going to do the uh, ballpark on July 26th. And in August, we'll pick a day to uh, have people come out to the track. And it should be uh, should be quite a bit of fun. Um, Remo, did you do the puck doku today? I did do it, and I messed up on the middle one, and I'm still angry. Like, I'm going to have to, like, wait. And if you're not familiar with puck doku, these are the new things taking over sports fandom in the summer when there's no games on. There's Immaculate Grid, which is MLB, and puck Here. doku is the hockey one. Here, why and, don't you? Uh, I'll get, you fill, I'm going to give you the things, and you can fill them in. This is okay. where I'm at right now. I already okay. So, there's so, the trophy winners. Well, I'll tell... People on the podcast. So they have two. It's like a grid, and there's a top row and a row on the left. You have to match the players for that team who fill in the box. So on this one, there's Boston, Philly, Montreal, Nashville, Minnesota, Vesna Trophy winner. So what's the first one? Boston, Vesna Trophy winner? Yeah, so I went with Allmark. You picked Allmark? Okay, I picked Rask on mine. Yeah. We can pick 31% Allmark. For Philly, I've got Bernie Perrant. Okay, that's who I picked too. For the Vesna Trophy winner, he's twenty percent. Yeah, that's who I picked. Uh, for the Habs, I picked Patrick Roy. Okay, I picked Carey Price, but I'll put I'll put in Roth Roth for you. Yeah, this is this is going to be exactly where I'm at. Then for Boston and Minnesota, yeah, Charlie Coyle. Okay, that's I think that was the most popular one. Yeah, I picked. I'll tell you who I picked. I picked, right I picked Shane Knighty in that one. That's funny because I have Shane Knighty for the Boston Nashville one. Yeah. And you'll see Knighty comes in at 0.4%. Yeah. Uh, and then I've got <laughs> Nashville Philly, Zach okay. Ronaldo. Yeah, that's, that Ronaldo was pretty came low. Came in at 0. 0.7. He's 0.8 and then, now. Uh, and, then, and then just threw in P.K. Subban okay. for it. Uh, I, for I try to see what does, you know, the strategy – for this is also to try to get the low percentage. Like, yeah, anyone can throw in PK Subban and well, uh, the and first Shea strategy Weber. is to get nine out of nine and don't screw it. Yeah, up. well, I mean, everyone knows Subban and Weber, but I was like, I'm not. That's chalk. I'm throwing in. I know I'm. I'm an advanced player hus of Puck Doku. I'm not throwing in these chalk things when possible. So I threw in Hal Gill. I was pretty fired up to get Hal Gill, but I'll throw in uh, Subban. Yeah, so there's Subban. So now I'm I'm stuck right now. And again, this is without looking. Mm-hmm. A Philadelphia Flyer. Did Scott Hartnell ever play for the Wild? I don't think so. 
No. Want me to tell you who I thought of, or like how? Do you give yourself a time limit on these? Because I need to, because otherwise I'll think about it all day. But um, yeah. after a certain point, it's like okay, well, I'm just gonna guess. But because I could literally sit here all day trying for it. I know. It's, well, it's the hard. one I did yesterday, I think I did it in about three minutes. Like, I just knew. I there did was yesterday's, no, too. Here, here, I'll show you my one from yesterday. Um, and it was, uh, it was good. So, anyways, I'm stuck on these Minnesota Wild players. A guy that played on Minnesota and Philly okay. and Minnesota and the Do you Habs. want me to tell you the one that I just thought of right after I put in the wrong answer? Okay. Okay, I guessed Keith Carney, which was not correct. Keith Carney. I guess, which was not correct. And then I got in the shower and I was like, oh shit, it's um, Todd Fedorak is a good one. <laughs> Put him in. Let's What's see, the percentage on Todd Fedorak? Yeah, 0.7%. 0. 0.7. Wow, that's very well done. I thought of that one like after I guessed wrong. Oh, I was yeah. livid because I got nine or nine. No, yesterday. T-Will, you can't. I was thinking about Koivu, but no, that will not work. That will not work. And then, can I tell Anyone you who I used? Anyone want to be a hero? Anyone want to be a hero with a guess for who, a guy who played on the Habs mm-hmm. and the Minnesota Wild in their career? Let's see if anyone I want to tell you the ones that I have. Uh, I tell you who I typed in. Yeah, just just leave out the Minnesota Montreal one. Oh, do you want me to tell you or no? No, no. I want to see if anyone has a. Uh, oh, oh, don't say. Okay. I want to see if anyone can, uh, if we can crowdsource the, uh, we can crowdsource the. Crowdsource. Uh, well, I'll show you my one from, from yesterday. Uh, okay. That I nailed. And then I was so bored or not bored, but I, you know, oh, Uncle Dizzo's got it. Uh, Guillaume Laton Dress. Laton Dress. That's a good one. That's a good one. I would not have gotten that one. But okay. Laton, Guillaume Laton Dress. Nicely yeah. done. 13%. That's that was pretty good. Shocked yeah. that that was 13%, to be honest. I'm with surprised. You. I used Eric Stahl in that spot, but you could have also used... Uh, oh, De- Eric Stahl. Damn it. I think Devin Dubnik would have worked, too. But I used yeah. Eric Stahl. Dubnik, another one. Very well done. Lata Dress is a nice one. See, you got to give yourself more points. I like using the lower percentage guys when you can. Yeah, but but again, I was stuck. I didn't even. Have well, you got to right get answers, what you can. So. Yeah. Well, I screwed up on the Philly Minnesota when I did it. I'll show you mine from yesterday. You can't go back and do them, but uh, did I email it to myself? I love the one on. Uh, I think it was on Saturday. Yeah. Where it was the Oilers, Habs, Flyers was the, on the top, and then Flames, Boston, yeah. and Pittsburgh. Yeah, I have that one here. I did that one super fast. Did um, you ca- There's a couple right, guys you for that use. one. Okay, wait. This you is the one from yesterday. Day. Okay, what was that one? Uh, let me open it up here. So it's it's Avalanche, Stars, Washington, then Leafs sends 40 goals. And uh, so I had... This is the first time I did it. I did Avalanche... Leafs, I did Kerfoot, 23%. Avalanche Sands, Curtis Lecician, 1%. Uh, 40 goals, Sackick. Who stars, Leafs, Belfour. Stars, Sands, Bishop, 40 goals, Robertson. Caps. Le- and- yeah, I mean, you could use 
I tried not to try to I try to use guys from NHL ninety four because they're gonna be like Who did lore. you put in for Washington and Ottawa? Uh Bondra. Ten percent. You could I did another one. I used Joey Juno. He was like one percent. And then he used Bond. Chara. Then he used Bondra. Oh, Chara's a good one. Oh, Chara, that's a nice one too. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then Ovechkin was the chalk pick for I could have done Bondra. Leafs. I did new and I did new and Dyke for uh, Belfort. Should have done Lindros. <laughs> Lindro, yeah. Have been. Washington uh, Leafs, I thought today I should have done like Eric Fair because I was trying to like, I got to fit Trevor Kidd into one of these somehow. One day I'm going to use Trevor Kidd. Hey, do you have your results from the uh, Saturday one with the Oilers yeah. and yeah, Habs yeah. in the top one? Yeah, let me pull it up. I, I hey, screenshot they, them I, and sent it to my friends. At some point so, each week we'll go through some of these. We can't do it every day. We could just do, well, I got could one do a wrong. whole show on this on Puck Doku. Yeah, you know, listen, for sure. Okay, so let's compare ours. Okay, who did you? I Oilers. Had... Yeah, you have Cam Talbot, 6%. I had James Neal, 12%. Okay. Going down, you had Andy Moog, 5 I had Lucic, 27 Okay. We both had Paul Coffey. Yeah, Oilers. For, for o- uh, o- Oilers uh, Pens. Yeah, Oilers Pens. For Habs Penguins, yeah. I had Mark Recchi. Four percent. Oh, really? Less than I Kovalev at twelve. Yeah, four percent for Recky. I think people forgot that he played for the Habs. For Bruins, Habs, I had Michael Ryder. <laughs> what was he? Nineteen. What? Yeah, I mean, That's I don't know. Crazy. Okay, you're gonna love this one. He's Nylon at ten. Habs, Habs, Flames. Yeah. Doug Risebrow. <laughs> Zero point five percent. That's pretty good. And then Pittsburgh, Philly, Rick Tockett for five percent. That's not bad. Oh, and you use Recky over there. See, I used Recky thing. I how could I not pick our guy Dave Poulin? Yeah, I know. I I thought I used Recky for Bruins. Flyers was like shit. I should have used Dave Poulin. I was so mad after that. Yes, and then. Uh, for Calgary, Philly, one percent. R.I.P. Brad McCrimmon. Oh, I couldn't. I, I don't know. I guess I didn't have one. Um, what day was that? I'm mad that I didn't. I might have guessed. I forget who I guessed. That was Saturdays. You're probably in a hurry. You probably had some kids jumping all over you. Oh, you I do them at like five a.m. with my daughter when she's up. I'm like playing with her on the ground, like trying to brainstorm like obscure NHLers. It really does good. give me a reason to get up. I always do. Like, oh, well, what's the puck, puck doku today? Well, I do the baseball one, Immaculate Grid. That comes out at like 11 p.m., and I'm like so ready at 11 at midnight. Okay, I had a good guess for that one. Bailey, I great question. Why haven't the Jets been featured in puck doku yet? It must be. It'll be coming soon. Well, someone asked what the rule is on relocated franchises, and I think the Jets. Did change that? It says rule change. Click how to play. Players and stats follow the franchise. So players like Kovalchuk count for the Jets. And that's with the baseball one too because the Expos count for Washington, which I wasn't sure on. So that makes, I mean, that's the NHL rule. rule, I mean, rule book. So I got it. Originally when it came out, Jets were Jets. I think they so changed. Like, yeah, they changed it. I don't like that rule change. I don't like that rule change. It says right. teams that move back under the same do not count. So Jets don't count as present day Jets. It's too confusing. Latondress. 
what a great one. Nicely done to uh, the gang that did that. Yeah, Lats on um, Dress is a good one. Um, anyways, great show today. Thanks to everyone that hung through. I'm on the comeback trail. Hopefully be back near uh, 100% tonight. Probably not going to make the Sea Bears game, but hopefully they win. We can talk about it tomorrow on the show. Uh, Scott Billick's going to jump on. We'll talk a little CFL, maybe some Jays at the break, and uh, and a whole lot more. Oh. So uh, join us then. Big shout out to all the sponsors that make this show happen each and every day. And all of you, thanks to John Horn. Thanks to John Hodge and, of course, to Mike McIntyre. It's been a great one, folks. We'll see you tomorrow, 1 p.m. right here on Winnipeg Sports Talk. Thanks for hanging. Oh, my God. Shut it down. Let's go home. Thanks for tuning in to Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Make sure to subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcast feed at winnipegsportstalk.com. 